0: All day, baby. All day, air day. And the
1: baby, the baby, the baby, the baby, the babies
0: cry.
2: Baby. All day, air day, console crusade podcast. <laughs> I am EJ Olsen <laughs> with my good bud, Nick Durheim.
0: Let's keep it at a nice seven out of ten energy level.
2: I was. <laughs> I'm just trying to just. <laughs> we cruising, <laughs> just getting to the good stuff. I want to learn about Metroid, Chris Four, Chris Gilly
1: Four. Are you official now? Uh, yeah, I, I got my name changed done before I came up to Alaska. Uh, I have one legal Hell document yeah. that proves it. Uh, and I still have to change my driver's license, which has been a Titanic pain in the ass for a number of reasons. Uh. But it'll be, you know, it'll be done soon. But yeah, I'm official. I'm official. I love
2: that the Consecre podcast is just basically the group chat's way of, of finding out whether or not your legal papers have been updated. I think the third time it's been brought up on the podcast.
0: I was starting to feel pretty uncomfortable referring to Chris by his uh, chosen last name without some sort of state mandated uh, documentation. So Yeah,
2: now that the government's forced me to do it, I feel better about it
0: yeah that's good their guiding light shines the path yeah lick that lick that boot
2: (laughs) oh my goodness i am a
0: libertarian what can i say it's hard to lick that boot when it's planted firmly on my neck
2: oh just kidding by the way i don't want to be associated with those people i am not a libertarian what i'm hearing is you like
0: uh, a kitty stuff
2: please stop my little pony okay is not kitty stuff nick it demands your respect. <laughs>
1: you know, I'm going to I'm going to take a hard pass on that and I'm going to just say that uh Joey, if you're listening, uh there's a great story he told me about going to BronyCon uh when he was uh younger and was into the fandom and he went to BronyCon and he left BronyCon and never participated in anything to do with that show's culture ever again. And I think that was probably the right choice. <laughs> I think your little brother is
0: a treasure trove of interesting experience and uh, just cultural awareness of things that I never, never want to know about. (laughs) Here's the thing. I, and we're just going to right off
2: the rip, we're just going to start offending people. I can't imagine how you get into certain things without having at least like peripherally some clue as to what the culture is probably like, like how I like, listen, if you want to like things like my little pony whatever man that's totally you kind of have to know what you're getting with that
1: right uh, I think it's one thing to know that there are a lot of grown men who are uncomfortably into the show and then seeing all of these grown men in person and oh, it just having
2: so real for you and then yeah like...
1: I have to imagine that was uh, uh something of a reality check uh for him um I don't know Joey you can weigh in uh in the comments oh
2: my goodness Listen, I like a lot of weird stuff, too. It's okay.
0: But then you get people that um, go to those kind of uh, conventions, those gatherings, and they turn into like a double down. I think that's where you get stuff like furry culture and like juggalo culture. It's kind of like, obviously, every kind of uh, fandom from the outside looking in seems like a weird cult vis-a-vis like religion and shit, but I can see why you get a lot of people like you get the people that are not accepted anywhere else. And then they find each other and they build their own thing. So it is easy to sort of shit on it and laugh about it. But it's also like, you gotta, you gotta know that it's understandable to an extent, right?
2: Listen, I got mad respect for the juggalos. All right. It's a, it's a whole thing out there, but I'm down with the clown,
0: bro. Let's go. (laughs) I mean, you like kiss and that's like halfway there. no, Yeah, it really is. Listen, I know a lot of
2: respectable, well-adjusted individuals. (laughs) Divorced men. Who are like, I'm going to go see (laughs) kids when they're in town. I'm going to get drunk and hang out. Okay? I don't know any respectable juggalos.
0: I fuck with the Juggalos. <laughs> you just said that
2: you respect them. I respect the culture.
1: So what so what what do you what what is this? Are you are you like scrumming for like the Juggalo subscription or are you not? Like I was I thought for sure you were like playing to that group trying to try and get some more subs for the pod and now you're shitting on them like unless Leaf or Drew or I guess Joey is a Juggalo,
2: I am definitely not sipping for Juggalo culture here. I'm just being honest with my boys. I respect the culture, but there's Not some the sketchy people. people out there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just turned my air conditioning off because it was really loud. So you just It pretend, was kind of loud. I heard it. It's fine. Pretend <laughs> it didn't happen before. It was just It's 100 degrees out. I'm going to be really hot for the next three hours. Listen, okay. Today, we're talking about two things, but really one thing. And that one thing, this is a podcast... This is this is the console Crusade Chris cast today, because this is all about Metroid. Nick, you've been playing Metroid. You fellas are going to dive deep and uh, do your thing, and I'm going to drink beers and, and listen. Uh, but first, I want to chat about a little something Chris brought up before we jumped in here, which is the OLED Switch, which we didn't talk about uh, on a podcast, because we haven't recorded in
0: forever. But we definitely talked about it in the group chat, and I'm sure there are a lot of thoughts. And even before that, we talked a lot about, I mean, it's been a evergreen conversation of the Switch Pro and like what the next iteration of the hardware would be. I think we probably even talked about it as far back as like when the Switch Lite was rumored and then eventually came out and EJ, I remember you picking that up and you brought it over one time and then I don't know if you ever ended up returning it or what. I sold it last summer, yeah. I think, yeah, when the Switch uh, OLED model which talk about wonderful marketing and a, just a great name. Uh, when that was revealed, I wasn't surprised that it wasn't actually the uh, the Switch Pro that everyone wanted because, I mean, when whatever, Nintendo, do something that we all want them to do.
2: <laughs> well, that's the thing. They never do. You'd have expected at least like a new 3DS style, like in, like a, a D-pad on the Joy-Con instead, you know what I mean? Like something, it was like quite literally just the screen upgrade, which is like, it's like whatever it's fine i mean i i bought the the new cpu version or or the uh whatever adjustment they did yeah, yeah. to the apu that yeah. gave it a better battery <laughs> i bought that just cuz i wanted a better battery i'd never play
0: handheld whatever i'll buy this eventually yeah yeah and that's the thing is like i i can't justify getting this because i'm still fine with my launch day switch i know like when the better battery version came out that's when uh, lindsay got her switch so that was like good for you know, new people jumping in, but I haven't, there hasn't been an iteration that's been like, this is time for my second version of the hardware. But Chris, uh, <laughs> I don't know, what what was it that made you want to get this version? Was it just that your your old Switch getting a little bit creaky or you just wanted those white Joy-Cons to match your, your day one Metroid Dread because it's launching on the same day? <laughs> was it the FOMO? Was it the
2: inability to secure a PS5 that you figure a, a white switch would would hold you over <laughs>
1: and it was just something to spend the, the money burning a hole in your pocket Why Chris why? uh you know i I thought I had a good answer for this, and the answer that I've been saying, which is true, is that I do spend a lot of time playing. In handheld mode because we're like a single TV home. You know, we live pretty simply at this point because we've both been grad students for a couple of years, Tiffany and I. And so I spend a lot of time playing in handheld. So I went having a badass screen will be great. Uh, Having some fresh Joy-Con that I don't have to pay extra for coming out of the box will be great. Side note, I did not get the white model. I oh. I know I could only get the, the red and blue one, and so I bought yeah. uh, a pair of the Zelda, the Skyward Sword Joy-Con, and I'm leaving mm. them in the box until my OLED Switch arrives, and I'm going to try to get someone to buy the red and blue Joy-Con out of the box from the Switch OLED.
2: Hey, I will, I will buy a white one, and I'll just trade you if you're going to be anywhere near... Oregon at that
1: point in time when did it come out Uh, it comes out on October 8th yeah October 8th and I actually am going to be in Oregon that weekend so like I'm literally gonna be I don't even think I'm gonna be able to pick mine up or my copy well no I'll have my copy of dread but I won't be able to pick up the new switch until after I get back from Oregon uh bummer we we could ship it I'll pay I'll pay shipping I'll pay shipping um so I have the Zelda Joy-Con and I'm gonna unbox them uh when the OLED gets there and that'll be my shiny fresh pair um So that was what I've been saying. Am I the problem? Like, am I, am I the problem? Am I the reason why Nintendo keeps churning out these shitty iterations of things? Cause like, really, this is the bar is low for Nintendo iterating on their, on their consoles, but this is like arguably the biggest dick punch of all of them. And there was never any hesitation in my mind that I was going to buy this. And part of it was because, yeah, it's been four and a half years since the Switch came out. It's definitely getting a little creaky. The fan is pretty noisy at this point on my original model. And you know the stuff I said about like having the nice screen and handheld's gonna be great. But like, am I the problem? Am I the reason like people who still line up because they sold out their fucking pre-orders, so like people like me are lining up to get this. And yeah, I'm a collector, blah, blah, blah. But am am I the problem? Boys, am I the problem? This particular situation aside,
2: yes, you are the problem. However, (laughs) when it comes to... (laughs) Uh, No, honestly, though, and this is a conversation that, Nick, you and I have hashed out quite a bit on, on the podcast, is if you are a Nintendo fan and you are on the internet, you are part of the problem because you are bitching about these things as much as the next person, but we're still dumping our money into it. So it's like, we'll vote with your wallet. But then there's this like really like defeatist mentality of like, well, it's the silent majority who are going to continue buying these things. So like I might as well like me voting with my wallet literally doesn't matter. And I'm like, I I, I would never argue there isn't a place for a a incremental upgrade like this, a a better screen on the handheld for a, a console that a lot of people play handheld. That's totally fine. Would I have maybe done a proper Switch Pro and done the PlayStation Xbox thing and said hey here's the new iteration of our console we're also doing a soft refresh of the original you know which Xbox did 3 times PlayStation did uh I guess 3 times the Pro and then they did the refresh With PS4 yeah.
0: and Xbox One you mean Yeah yeah or even the 360 yeah. and the PS3 I mean they they had so many Yeah there were a lot of versions of 360 yeah.
2: So I have no problem with f- four years later, you're getting a, uh, you know, it's this has got the better battery function, the better screen. That's fine. But, you know, four and a half years in, a console that has been showing its age since launch, it's kind of, you would think, Nintendo, it's time to really put your money where your mouth is and do something different here. They didn't. We might still get, a, you know, a, a, a legitimate upgrade. You know, Nintendo's notorious for that. There's like eight versions of the 3DS, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know what? Voting with our wallet, particularly the three of us, doesn't matter. Because, you know, no. we can sit here and complain <laughs> about the next X, Y, or Z, but everyone else is gonna buy it. So, like, you know, if 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 the the upgrade makes sense for you, or even if it doesn't make sense, we're just a bunch of thirty year old dudes who wanna like something, you fucking spend your money how you want. If you got the money burn a hole in your pocket, do whatever the fuck you want.
0: Yeah, what would make you happier getting three hundred dollars or three hundred fifty dollars or getting the Switch OLED model? Like you gotta have to like have that cost benefit analysis for your lifestyle.
2: Yeah, totally. I tell you what, I would rather put that $350 to right now, which is why I have yet to pre-order a switch. OLED is the steam deck.
1: Great timing by valve on that one too. (laughs) Oh, it was cold fucking blooded. They, they had to have had that in their pocket waiting for Nintendo to announce whatever this iteration of the switch was going to be. It was too perfect. Perfect. It was too fucking perfect. And the day that pre-orders go up, they're like, oh, by the way, we've got this incredible pocket PC that's going to play all your Steam games. I know Valve just said today they have yet to meet a game that the Steam Deck cannot handle, uh, which, you know, is probably posturing to a certain extent, but I don't know. Like, I, it intrigued me enough to almost not pre-order the OLED to try to get into the queue for the Steam Deck, which is kind of massive for me because I don't game on Steam. But I looked at that thing and went, holy shit, like this could seismically change my gaming ecosystem, my gaming habits, like my primary platform in a really substantive way.
2: Just on the service, there seem to be some issues with what this Steam Deck is trying to do. But at its core, it is the Switch Pro that we've been asking for. It is a truly powerful handheld system, it docks, but it comes. With your Steam library. And for the, everyone who's actually buying this thing, that is a massive library of games. And it brings the best of both worlds of like having access to PC gaming, which has so many benefits on its own, but also now it's a console experience, you know, that you can carry with it. Mean, it really is the best of both worlds. Is this the Switch killer? Absolutely not.
0: No. In no no world. (laughs) No, Nintendo is Don Draper in the elevator, not even thinking about Valve. (laughs) Exactly. But this
2: is a great option. And if it does well,
0: companies like Nintendo,
2: like Sony, like Microsoft are going to look at it. Every Nintendo handheld has sold gangbusters. Every single, I mean, Sony has done how many Game Boy killers and they've all, they haven't put a dent in it. And some of their consoles have just, you know, the Vita, obviously absolutely flopping. PSP did well, but it didn't hold a candle to Nintendo, you know? Yeah, that was DS competitor. But, it, but you know, it, it'll shine a light on this area of the market where it's like, okay, it's not just Nintendo doing weird Nintendo things. People like this functionality. And if Steam can actually deliver a handheld that's, like, genuinely powerful, it's like, hey, Nintendo, you have zero excuses now. Because the Steam Deck base model is $399. It's $50 more. In the new
0: base model switch, worse screen though. <laughs> got him. I mean, it's a seven-inch screen as well, but it is uh, an eight hundred. It's a sixteen by ten screen, which is strange. Mm. That's a little. That's a very non-standard. Like there haven't been that. You can't really get a monitor that that ratio nowadays. But it is still like a basically seven twenty p screen. It's basically the same screen, but not OLED. But not as far yeah. as like size. Yeah, and then the controls. I mean, we can't you can't tell until you're actually holding the thing, but I like that it's a lot thicker than a switch. I think the my main problem playing a switch handheld is that it is too thin for its for its weight profile and how wide your stance is when you're holding it. it makes it very uncomfortable for when you're playing in bed. Like I frequently do when I'm playing a handheld. My my hands end up going numb. Like it's like a putting like a weird pressure on the palm of my hand, like getting like a weird nerve thing. Mm-hmm. And then the the vertical nature of the separation between the face buttons and the right D pad or the right analog stick and the analog stick and the D pad on the left is strange. But having it vertical, having it horizontal instead of vertical, I'm not sure how much better that actually is. It's cool. It's got the back buttons as well. I like that. I like the back buttons
2: as a, a proud owner of the Xbox Elite controller. Okay, I've been using those paddles a lot lately. I like that it comes with the paddles in the back. Yeah, the the analog uh, stick placement next to the face buttons,
0: I can see how that, like, you might not notice in practice. They look like full-size analogs, too, which is good. Yeah. This is definitely a far less portable uh, system compared to the Switch, but the Switch is hardly portable as it is. Like, you're putting that thing in a case and carrying it around like a little lunchbox anyway. Right. So you might as well, like, beef it up a little bit to make it more comfortable in your actual hands when you're playing the damn thing
2: right it's not like you can put your switch in your pocket the average person can or, or would do that yeah you got to put it in a case and you got to throw it in a bag of some sort which is what i think most people, or, or if you're a, a crazy person you just carry the switch around like a little like you said lunchbox um i do it fuck it <laughs> yeah i guess i guess when you're taking your switch places you're just like going to a friend's house or your girlfriend or something yeah. Um, I can't imagine just like hopping on the train and just be in my switch case. And it's like, that's a great way to lose my shit. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, this is going to be just as portable Yeah, You know what? I had my hands on both the OLED Vita and the later version that did not have the OLED screen. There were a lot of weird Greg Miller ass nerds out there who were going to sit here and say how amazing the OLED Vita was. It was such a negligible difference.
0: When you had the thing in your hands, it really was. Has there been like a lot of difference in the OLED technology and screens in the past 10 years? Because it has been literally 10 years since the Vita
1: wow. came out. <laughs> I, I don't oh, know. Oh my God, we're fucking old.
2: <laughs> I know, oh. dude, it's fucked up. I don't know if anything's really different other than just the cost of manufacturing. I think the technology is, is the same, but uh, I mean, trust me, OLED's cool, man. It's, it's more power efficient and... I mean, like, we bought an OLED TV last year, and it's, like, unreal, you know? Like, it's, yeah. it's a very cool thing. Is it overkill for a 720p screen? Like, yeah. Would I rather that money go to literally any other part of the console? Probably. But, it's like, hey,
0: this is what they chose, and it'll be interesting. I guess I would rather have, I would rather have an OLED 720p screen on the Switch and handheld than, like, a 1080p screen. Like, if they're going to improve the screen at all, I'd rather it be the brightness than anything else. It's just that they've only given iterations of the Switch that improve handheld play, and that's not my primary mode of play. So it hasn't been like a real like a uh, seller for me personally.
1: Like, who is this for? I think that's my big other than me because I'm a fucking Nintendo simp, apparently. Like, what <laughs> the OLED? Okay, <laughs> yeah who who is the OLED for? Like, I, I, it just feels like they're introducing a slightly better version for people who have yet to buy one of these. And I get that. Like, it's definitely that I, I I don't know. It just feels like it just feels like it. Like I said, it just feels like a dick punch. One that I like paid $350 for and said, thank you, daddy. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I I feel weird about that. I feel weird about this and I feel weirder about it. Like the more (laughs) that we talk about it or I'm just like, shouldn't I have, uh, am I not like the principal's guy? Am I not like the no fuck you? Like this is not what we asked for guy except I bought it anyway. And like literally the, I mean literally there was no hesitation. Like I, the day that the pre-orders went live at like four tabs open, I was refreshing like a mofo. Uh, the, the opening window took too long. And so I was like refreshing while I was teaching and like ducked into my supply shed <laughs> And was refreshing while I was getting supplies and waited. And there's like four like fucking fourth graders lined up trying to get their art projects from yesterday or whatever. And I finally come out after having secured my pre-order and like, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I was trying to pre-order the new Switch and they were like, yeah, all right, respect. Like they (laughs) they got it. But like, how like, who am I? Like, what the fuck is this? Like, it's not even that big of an upgrade. So I don't know. Sick,
0: sick man. You're a sick man, you're churning into a meathead so your lizard brain is taking over and all you see is an animal running from you and your instincts kick in and you have to chase, you're pursuing, you're a pursuer and that was the only thing you wanted you caught it and now you don't know what to do with it. You're a cow with a dead bird inside the house. <laughs>
2: oh my god. Nick, that was beautiful. I respect it. Um, yeah, man, listen. This was, if you really want to be cynical about it, this was Nintendo's way of making 50 more bucks a unit. They introduce this new unit. They pretend they're giving you this slick little upgrade. They phase out the 299 version. And now every new Switch they sell for the next four years costs
0: $50 more. And it's not costing them any more to produce realistically. I don't see them doing that. I think uh, I think you're going to keep seeing three SKUs on the shelves because it's it's visually appealing to them to have a 200 a 300 and a $350 model. Because... If people want to spend $50 more, they can buy the 350, but if they want to save 50 bucks, then they get the 300 model. If they want to save 100 bucks, they get the 200. Each one elevates the the other. And I think that's beneficial for them.
2: I wonder what the consumer psychology is like because I I've I've read it both ways where you know, you introduce a product like this and, and by contrast it makes your other products look more appealing, but also Yeah, it's like soda
0: sizes at McDonald's, you know.
2: Well, it also makes them now look maybe lesser in value, and I don't just mean monetarily, but like, well, what what, what is the, the $250 version not doing, or the $200 version not
0: doing? Yeah, but there literally is, there is less uh, stuff that the light can do. So it makes sense that they have a cheaper version. I, I think you see the same thing with like iPhone models. You know, you get the, the S version, that's the cheaper one. It's made of plastic. It's just a little bit less premium feeling. But for most people, it's the exact same phone, or the XL that's like taller by, you know, a quarter inch or whatever. So you just introduce a, a wide sort of swath. It's not even like that wide for iPhones because they're all like what eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars, sort of in that range. But for Switch, it's a much wider range. Uh, based on like like two hundred dollars versus three hundred dollars is a sixty six percent price of three hundred. Like it's just not there's a less variety in like an iPhone, but for the Switch, it's it's nice for them to have that low that low end and then start approaching and they don't have anything with the OLED. It's strange because it is more expensive than the um, entry-level Xbox at this point, if you want to think about it in like a comparison standpoint. But at the same time, Nintendo is not seriously like really competing with Xbox and PlayStation. So even then that, that sort of argument falls apart and there's, they're acquiring so many new uh, players and they must have like the data to see that, you know, if they're selling 15 million units in a year, that however many of those are new players, new users being logged in, and they're not existing people getting their second Switch, then they know they don't have to introduce a model that is there for the second iteration people like they did with the the new 3DS, which I think that was definitely a play at getting older 3DS players to get another one. Why the damn thing didn't even come with a fucking charger. They just assumed that you already had one, which is absurd. Whereas like a new TDS, or not a new TDS, but like a, a 2DS and like the 3DS XL is just like, Hey, if you haven't bought a 3DS yet,
1: here's like another option if you want like one with a larger screen or whatever. I think you just hit the nail on the head sort of circuitously, and that is that Nintendo doesn't have to compete. and it's because they have, and we maybe even talked about this literally last time we recorded, they have IP that make every other company absolutely cream themselves in in envy. And that's why the PSP fucking failed, is because it's about the fucking games. Like, the well, the PSP of people- sold
2: seventy-five million units, so let's slow our roll. at the PSP failing
1: here, okay? And how many units the did Vita the D- failed. How many units did the DS family sell? It fucking lost over one hundred fifty. It yeah. fucking <laughs> lost. They got doubled up, bro. Doubled up. Yeah. So like, look, Double look, look. Like, up. The number of people who want to play God of War on a PSP is going to be fucking inferior for all time to the number of people who want to play Mario on a DS. Or any Pokemon. (laughs) Or any Pokemon! They've moved so many fucking units. Also, I have to issue a slight correction. Joey, I'm sorry. You did not go to BronyCon. He went to Babs... He went to BabsCon, but the experience was still the same, and he still noped out of his uh, My Little Pony fandom after that. Um, I just want to set the record straight. I don't have a fucking clue. Something in the Bay Area, but... The bottom line is he noped out of he noped out of my little pony after that. Anyway. Bay Area, bitch shit. It's about <laughs> well he relocated. He's in the Northwest again. Um he's oh, back in Yeah. Oh I no, it Welcome is a My back. Little
2: Pony convention. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh okay. So in any case, yeah, it's about the IP. Um, it's about the IP for sure. Um so they will never have their handheld dominance questioned ever. Unless Microsoft no. looks at the Steam Deck and goes, What if we made a mobile Games Pass machine? Uh, that could... Well, I think uh, what Microsoft is
0: really focusing on, like, they do have their service line of hardware, but their hardware sort of focus has been sort of, they've been focusing a lot more on just the Xbox stuff, and they even said so much as that they're not going to be doing any VR, even though they sort of toyed around with it a few years ago. It seems like Phil Spencer over there has been, like, riding the ship and trying to focus more on software and acquiring developers and really, like making their game pass offering stronger. And it would be interesting to see them put Game Pass on Linux. I think that would be a big move because Steam, the Steam Deck is running a version of Linux. Uh that it's like SteamOS, which is a, a a fork of uh Arc Linux, I guess. And then they're using a software layer called Proton to let you play Windows games on there. And there is a website that you can go to to see if the game that you're interested in playing is compatible with Proton, or if you'd have to do the time and effort and hassle of installing Windows on this handheld gaming computer thing. But having a mobile Game Pass machine does seem like it would be a cool thing for Microsoft and Xbox to focus on, but they also do offer game streaming with their game pass ultimate subscription. So I'm not sure if that is really like, do they see the number of people using that in that way and say, is this really something that we have to focus on? Should we try to expand into this territory? Do our game pass um, games that we do offer fit in a handheld method beyond just checking in to destiny occasionally, or however people are actually using that for streaming purposes, even though we all know that like streaming a game is much, much worse than actually playing on native hardware doesn't matter if you're playing a game on a 720p screen with, like, you know, the Steam Deck's less powerful version versus streaming a bad bitrate version from an actual Xbox Series X. Like, it's going to be better on native. So, I don't know. I don't know if if Xbox looks at this and says, hey, we want in. Or if they're just going to be, like, if people are playing Game Pass games on this thing, they're figuring it out, then cool. Like, are they going to be pursuing those people or just letting them naturally come to them? I'm not sure. Because I also don't know how pervasive this uh, hardware is going to be. How many units is this going to sell? Is that going to be a win for Steam and Valve? Like I, I don't know what they're expecting. I don't know what their pre-order numbers are like. It was the top seller. Just their pre-orders were top selling because they, they list that shit out. So there was enough people for that to,
1: to chart on their own charts. But what does that even mean? I don't even know. I think we're rapidly getting to a place in which... The three and I guess four. Now that Valve's getting into dedicated hardware, yeah, beyond just like a peripheral, because they did the the Steam Index,
0: as opposed to working with HTC for the Vive. So they have like a dedicated um, VR hardware, but it's still not as as ubiquitous as even the the PSVR.
1: Right. Um, just that these three point five will say uh, right manufacturers. Platforms. They're all settling pretty firmly into their own lanes, and it kind of feels like Sony still thinks they're competing just with the, the like their reticence to get into crossplay where they're like, no fuck you buy our console. And they, they're coming around more if for no other reason than like public shame and everybody going, what the fuck is wrong with you. Uh, but Nintendo is Nintendo. They don't have to compete because of their IP, they own the handheld market. Sony makes the best first party exclusives without question amongst Microsoft when it comes to like AAA, shiny, high power games. And Microsoft is like, well, we've got Games Pass and we can do it on Windows. We can do it on Xbox. Like you don't need to like they're almost going like quantity, not necessarily over quality, but I don't think that even their IP can compete with Sony. So they're kind of settling distinctly into their own lanes. And I don't hate that. Like I don't I like that I could go I could own all of these consoles and use them for distinctly different things as opposed to I just want to play Halo or I just want to play Final Fantasy or whatever. You know what I mean?
2: It's interesting because
1: for so long
2: it's been a power race and that has forced each company to sort of develop their own IP and then it became a Xbox versus PlayStation thing. But yeah, it's interesting how we settled into this uh you know, Microsoft, like you said, is more about the shotgun approach, and Sony is thankfully still committed to just making brilliant first-party things. And Nintendo is is still eating glue in the corner and succeeding, you know, despite themselves. And you know, but listen, it's at the end of the day, everybody wins, and that's what's cool about the the Steam Deck is is uh, like I said earlier. If anything, if the only good thing that comes from it is that it just signals to you know, the industry at large that, hey, people want this, you know, that means good things for the consumer. Generally speaking,
0: does the Steam Deck outsell the Vita? What is the
2: Vita at like 5 million, 7 million, Like like 14 or 15? No
1: way. I don't need to know numbers. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Easily yes. Easily yes. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people with fat Steam accounts full of games they would love to be able to play on the train, on the bus, on their breaks at work. And now they can. Yes, right now. Um, but Big Balls Gilly 4!
2: <sighs> listen, Big Balls Gilly 4 has not exactly worked out uh, in 2021, my friend. Uh, <laughs> Listen, this feels like a very, very niche thing to me That is, it is not going to tap into the console sphere at large. So there's there are a lot of casual gamers who will never even know this thing exists. And there are a lot of diehard PC gamers who are probably pissed this thing exists. I think this really does exist for the fringe. I think it's going to do well. It'll be millions of copies sold if Valve can not fuck this up. If they can actually produce the units and if there isn't some, like you know, this is one of those things where like you know the the this Valve controller was supposed to be this revolutionary thing and it was awful by almost every metric and and no one talks about it anymore. So it's like there are I think a lot of reasons to think that this could flop. But if they do it right, like I, I don't think it I don't think it's gonna sell fifteen to twenty million co- or units, but um I listen, if I'm wrong, that's a good thing for everybody. So I reserved mine. I reserved the six hundred fifty dollar version. I said, screw it, let's go big. If we're gonna do it, let's let's do it right and let's see how this thing cooks. Oh boy. So.
0: I asked that question because I could see it really going both ways. I don't think this will flop. I don't think it's gonna do as poorly as like their VR output has, because VR is much more niche than holding a handheld gaming PC. I feel like just the success of the Switch indicates that people are interested in handheld gaming still, that it doesn't have to be like a phone thing, that people like to have a controller and a dedicated piece of hardware for it. So I could see this going, if this tops out at a million, I'd be like, that's cool, you know, good good for them, good for someone making a million of something, like that's crazy in and of itself, like Valve is not some tiny company up in Seattle or whatever, but Uh, them making hardware is still like a cool play on the, on the market. But if it does like outsell Vita, if it hits 15, 20 million, I think I wouldn't be surprised by that either because I, I see this having legs. I think they could keep iterating on this. If there's enough interest and people are really liking it and they have a lot of cool ideas, they can keep pumping these things out and like put out a model every year, whatever, you know, like they have the overhead they can afford to do that. It's just whether or not it's successful for them.
2: Well, and there, you obviously uniquely positioned for success because this isn't this isn't a fucking OUYA, you know,
0: Android Arcade. Like this isn't, isn't some bullshit. Like, like you said, the built-in platform is super useful because there's 120 million people who play on Steam as of this year.
2: I hope it does well. I I hope it feels good in hands and and plays well. You know, it it'll be nice just to be able to like and the fact that I can dock it up and I'm like I can actually take this somewhere and like. Kind of have my PC with me. Like, we'll see how... I, I imagine the dock functionality will not be very good. I could see most games running completely playable at 720p or whatever.
0: I think you'll be able to do 1080p pretty okay. Just based on the, 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 the teraflops and the 60 power of this thing. frames or die. But yeah, you're not going to be playing Control at max settings. But that's like, you know, PC games are very scalable. So you could probably play yeah. something like Jedi Fallen Order. At PS4 level graphics and probably play it at a better, better frame rate. That would be
2: f- insane, quite frankly. That would be crazy. My 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 boomer fucking monkey brain cannot fathom that we're in an era where I can play PS4 games on a Game Boy
0: and it's like, oh, it's like slightly better. What? I mean, it's not a it's not a CPU from 2010 or whatever. <laughs> so. I was gonna say the the hardware of the PS4 is fucking 15 years old, much better RAM, having yeah. uh, NVMe options. Like I don't know, it seems like a really Capable machine. We'll see. As I remember waking up and seeing like everyone ragging on it in the
2: group chat, and I was like, six hours later, I was like, I, I, th- I think I'm in on this, guys. <laughs> I mean, it looks hilarious. It looks like, it looks almost as Fisher Pricey as the Wii U. Like, not quite as like, uh, 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 cartoonish,
0: but like, it looks like a joke thing from like a Tom Cruise movie,
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. I'm hacking into the mainframe. That's definitely what it feels like. But anyway. Let's fuck off from this. Listen, we're going to talk Metroid, and by we, I mean you guys. Um, Obviously, you guys listened to the last podcast. Dread was announced. Chris, you lost your bananas. It's cool seeing Nick hyped about it. You just played
0: through the Prime Trilogy? Well, I played Fusion Zero Mission, the Prime Trilogy, touched on AM2R, and have gotten maybe three or four hours into Sam's Returns. Jesus Christ, dude. When did we talk last when did we record last? <laughs> what, like beginning of June? Have that you been working three? at
2: all? I mean, how did you do, how do you
1: fit all this in? These games aren't that long. Oh, Jesus. No, they're really they're really not. They're really not. Um, I'm glad to welcome you to the uh select elite company of Metroid fanboys. I won't call you a stan. All two million people who've ever bought a Metroid game. Welcome to the club. I mean, I wouldn't say that this is like this isn't like my
0: first rodeo. I replayed Fusion, I replayed most of Prime Two, and this is a matter of actually playing Prime and Prime Three and like Zero Mission, which that's like twenty hours of games just on right there. It's not like that's not a lot, and I've always like had a an appreciation for Metroid, but and I will say like just from experiencing these games with the twenty twenty one lens, like these are not even the best Metroidvania games that I've played in the past five years. Like not even close. But they are like really fantastic and it's really cool to to go back and experience them.
1: Well, there hasn't been a Metroid game to compete in the Metroidvania genre in the last five to ten years. Other than Samus Returns, which is uh, admittedly not very Metroidvania-like in terms of being kind of a black sheep, uh, Return to Samus. We've
0: talked about this a little bit in the group chat,
1: but being like a Metroid-like and having Metroid tendencies.
0: At this point, there are more Metroid games that aren't like that than those that are. Like almost all of them are are linear. Like there's not forced backtrack. I mean, even forced backtracking is, is not necessarily not linear. Like if you don't have an option to go anywhere but this place to get the next thing that you have to get, that's still linear. You're just going back to get it.
1: Well, then we'll call it we'll call it backtrack. I wouldn't say it's I I wouldn't say non-linear. I would say a lack of backtracking. That that Samus return True. slash return of Samus have a lack of backtracking. I going to think of other genre games like Guacamelee is a standout for sure, and that absolutely sits right in the sweet spot of you see a thing, you know you can't pass it, you get an ability and you go, oh, fuck, I can go there now. Um, and then, of course, Hollow Knight, um, which is an exemplary. Did you finally get a chance to actually play through that thing? No,
0: don't shame me. You really should. I, I know. I do. I know for a fact that it would probably be like a top five game for you if you played it.
1: <laughs> I know that. And here's Joey coming but up I also for the feel, third time. I feel the
0: same way with, like, with you. and like I think you would really enjoy Dark Souls as well. But I feel like it's also those are the games that people sound the klaxons for all the goddamn time online. So you don't need me, you know, shaming you about that. So I won't spend this time knocking on that door.
1: <laughs> but you should play them both. When I can get Dark Souls for $20 on Switch, I'm doing it. Yeah, I can see that happening. I think it retails right now for 40 the remastered. Yeah, yeah I could totally... I, I think I could get it for cheap. But but yeah, no, I, I know I need to play Hollow Knight. But yeah, man, Metroid. Um, shit, dude. Uh, Highlights of the franchise in terms of like what makes a Metroid game a Metroid game. It, it, backtracking, I think, is, is one of the key gameplay elements that you're going to encounter areas that you go, okay, I can't proceed here. And as you acquire additional abilities it sort of asks you to remember that and to go, oh, I can can get through that now. I can get through that now. Uh, They're they're ambient games. They're lonely experiences, which I think is part of what attracted attracted me to them early on and sort of informed my gaming habits and likes and dislikes for basically the rest of my adult life that I seek out those single-player experiences. Uh, And I think that that was informed in large part by uh, finding Metroid prime, uh, which humorously, uh, I, I did not want to rent, uh, Josh wanted to rent it and I did not want to rent that on, on my GameCube, which was the first console I owned outright for myself. And he insisted, right. no, this is the one I want to rent. It's got that dude from smash bros. <laughs> yup. <laughs> and I fucking fell in love with it. And after that, I mean, that was it. That was it. I was way down the rabbit hole after that. But, um, yeah, so the backtracking, the ambience, the lonely nature of the experience and just you and a planet and hostile life forms and off you go to collect abilities to let you progress through the environment. I'm so interested to hear about you looking at these games now and sort of getting fresh experiences with them with the 2021 lens because, of course, I'm too close to it. And, you know, I, I think Metroid Prime is an exemplary example of that era of game design. I think, I think prime two was a worthy sequel and in many ways is the better sequel. Uh, but something about, some about that first game in terms of the world that they built. Um, and again, the, the loneliness of that world and just you finding your way through that in first person behind the visor yeah, I mean I think it's I think it's routinely listed as one of the top games ever for a reason, but I want to hear about what it was like for you to replay these now, to play them for the first time now or to complete them for the first time now. Uh t- tell me, tell me about it. I don't remember, I
0: don't think I ever played Prime. I did have Prime 2 on GameCube back in the day. I don't think that was my first exposure to Metroid because my aunt and uncle had an NES and I remember playing the first Metroid like just barely at all. And then I think I actually had Fusion before I had Prime 2. So even then I had more of like a affinity for the side scrolling version of a Metroid game. But Prime I you know you always hear it listed as like a like you said it's very exemplary of the era and it is one of those standout first person games. And I don't think that is unfounded necessarily, but I also don't think it is held up that well as like a um the gameplay just does not does not hold a candle to like real first-person shooters and i know that nintendo didn't like want to market it as a first-person shooter it's a first-person adventure but even then i think that downplays a lot of uh classic metroid gameplay is like the run and gun sort of exploring your your surroundings like it is still like a isolated is a great way that to describe those games and you just, you hear that in the soundtrack you you feel that and the you're not welcome where you are you are a you are an alien to the planet that you're on in metroid 1 and metroid 2 and super metroid but hold on let me look at my notes because it's there's just a lot to talk about like you like uh i don't even know where to start with it so Prime was the only one I played on actual hardware. I played on the Wii U with the uh, new play controller, whatever they called it with the Prime Trilogy, playing it with the, the Wii controller. Because I remember playing on the GameCube and it just doesn't feel very good. It's like tank controls and you have to stop to, sh- to like actually aim and shoot and everything. And the, uh, the whole mechanic of uh, moving your cursor to select the visor and to select your different beams, very off-putting scanning everything there's just a billion things of dialogue but you have to scan the thing because it turns the thing from blue to green and you got to get the blue thing to be a green thing and that's a little bit tiresome but i, th- I think that <laughs> that i was like while i was playing i'm like damn this is probably why chris loves assassin's creed because <laughs> it's just a lot of checklist stuff with the the scan visor in particular uh the combat was fine i think they really leaned on the lock-on mechanic I want to talk to you a little bit about this because I think there is a strong dichotomy and a link uh, between uh, both the Metroid series and the Zelda series. I think in a lot of ways, Metroid is a 2D version of Zelda. And uh, the main differences being obviously like the tone and like location. It's not a fantasy. It's not a bombastic adventure. It is you are trying to survive and it is dangerous But you don't feel that in, like, a Zelda game. so But just, like, purely based on pacing and mechanics and uh, progression, it is a Zelda game through and through. And it's especially noticeable playing Prime 1 and thinking the entire time, like, this is just Ocarina of Time, but with a first-person perspective. So I wonder, what do you think about that?
1: I guess if the argument is... In Ocarina of Time, you need certain items to get certain places. But I think I think if that's the argument, then really the argument is Ocarina of Time is just Super Metroid. I mean, I don't know that that makes Metroid Prime a Zelda game. I think that means Ocarina of Time is just fantasy land, easy mode Metroid. Yeah. But super Metroid
0: is a link to the past and a link to the past is Metroid Two. Like you can just go back and back and back. Like they're all, I think they inform each other in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, and I think the big difference is in, in Zelda games, you feel like you're a part of something greater. And in Metroid, it's like you said, it's you versus this planet. That's trying to fucking kill you. That everything, everything in your environment is trying to kill you. Shit drops from the ceiling. The floor is lava there's enemies everywhere you don't have a friend in the world um yeah I mean I think that's I think that's fair I think that's fair um I I don't think that until breath of the wild there's ever been a Zelda game that has captured the kind of ambience that a Metroid game is capable of capturing and yeah again I think that I, I think in a lot of ways Prime 2 is a more finished version of prime one and that one is even more like linked to the past like there's literally a light world dark world thing going on (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i remember i remember when that came out the comparisons that that were coming out that are people that they're like oh they're doing the light world dark world thing again uh although i well i think those worlds informed each other more and again it's like gamecube versus super nintendo so you would hope so that those two worlds would would inform each other more than the the light dark toggle in a super nintendo game Uh, but yeah, prime one is, it's a little, I don't want to say rough around the edges, but it's very like square. You know what I mean? Like everything is kind of, it's just not very refined and it's a little blocky. Like just like Samus's shoulders. Like that's like the, the epitome of the difference between prime one and prime two. Then in Prime One they were big, they were shiny, like huge, like the size of her head, with these Bigger like sharp, <laughs> yeah, these sharp angular things. Until you get it,
0: powered down, and then you have just like the regular shoulder pads, like uh, Zero Mission
1: style, right? And then in and then in Prime Two they were smaller, it was sleeker, it had more texture. The world felt it just felt more complete. It felt like early GameCube tech versus late GameCube tech, uh, where they were they were pushing retro was pushing a little harder on what the GameCube could do. Um, But But the vibe I got more
0: so with the, the design philosophy in prime one versus prime two is like prime felt like we are inheriting this series that does not have a lot of entries, but has a lot of love toward it. And we are a Western developer freshly acquired by Nintendo. And we have to treat this with kid gloves. Like we can't really deviate too far from like what is expected. And the, the innovations that they did add that, resonated you see stick along with the the rest of the the series like the scan visor i think is emblematic of the prime series and it is the main distinctive factor compared to other first person games and even zelda games at the time so like yeah like you're saying the some of the map design is very subpar magmore caverns is a straight line and is like totally forgettable no rooms are distinct between each other except with like very rare exception uh the coolest addition to the game being Fendrana drifts and actually having like an ice area that hadn't been done really before. Like fusion came out the same day as fucking Metroid prime, which is dumb as hell. (laughs) Why did they do that? But fusion had a, a ice sector as well, but that was a little bit different because in that game, Samus has Metroid blood in her that saves her from a, a dangerous alien parasite. So she is weak to cold because of that. But There's a lot of stuff in Metroid Prime that is like rushed or just not thought out very, very thoroughly. Like I think of the color coded enemies was not a big fan of that with like the space pirates that, oh, I have to shoot this guy with a wave beam. So I've got to, you know, press the button and select it with the goddamn icon to shoot this guy with a wave beam or the the fission Metroids that split apart and you got to shoot them with the different colors to kill them. It was very tedious in a lot of ways. And, like, not difficult tedious, just, like, time-consuming tedious in a lot of those combat encounters. Whenever I fought something new, it was cool, but it was just not, that didn't happen very frequently. And a lot of the bosses, like, uh, the, I can't think of the name of it, that plant boss. It's, like, the first, like, big, big boss that you fight. Full uh, hog, yeah, great name on uh, Talon Four. but that reminded me so much of, I mean, I know it came, did it come, I think it came up before uh, uh, Wind Waker there's this there's a fucking that scorpion boss in the middle of that volcano it's basically that uh yeah the bosses in general like the big bosses like in the center of a room are very zelda like and then some of the other bosses that weren't as like sort of hammered out like what is it the omega pirate that big pirate guy yes that was a huge pain in the ass Took forever. I lost all my my missiles and I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to be out of missiles for this fight and just do charge shots and just chip away at him forever.
1: Yeah, it was really tedious and it was also one of the later design decisions they made in the development cycle of that game was to, it was supposed to be crate. It was supposed to be great. I remember reading about that, and so and they canned it in the eleventh hour because they couldn't couldn't get it to work, or it just wasn't like flowing with the rest of the like design aesthetic. And so they coughed up the Omega Pirate, which is admittedly like one of the more one of the more forgettable bosses. Although like with the Phaseon Pirates that are all like hulked out, popping out of tanks, like they made it work thematically, but like. I still pine. for uh, that. Yeah.
0: It fit in. It was, it was fine that it was there. It was just as a mechanically, like how you interacted with the the enemy. It was uh, te- a lot of shock waves that you're jumping over. That's yeah. my, my impression of boss fights in uh, Metroid prime is a lot of shock waves. It's waiting for Ridley to stop flying around to get back in the boss arena so I can fight him. It's uh seven different phases fighting the, the Metroid prime at the end. Uh, it's, it's not. It's not its strong point, and I do appreciate all the times where I spent, like, wandering around looking at stuff was much more enjoyable than those times I spent. Oh, you gotta fight these goddamn Chozo ghosts again. <laughs> okay, here we go. And I did think the the visors are they're really cool and they're they're visually distinct when you have them on, like the the X ray visor and the the thermal visor, are both uh, cool ways to look at the world, but both are kind of underutilized as far as like what you're actually doing with them when you're looking around with the x-ray visor there's one time like at the end of the game you don't you don't get the x-ray visor to like super late in the game anyway but there was a point where you see like floating platforms that you couldn't see before and i was like oh that's cool and then i ended up somewhere else that it doesn't like really you know it doesn't say to you there's going to be floating platforms in this area and then i found some and i got like i think that was for one of the artifacts which uh, another the artifact hunt at the end was uh not great either uh, luckily i'd found like eight of them and there's 12 which is just like why is there 12 things this is just like this is as bad as the triforce hunt at the end of wind waker <laughs> but uh there was one moment though to seeing that and like having this sort of like veil pulled from my eyes moment of being like oh we're doing something cool but they just don't do enough things cool with that same with the thermal visor
2: how important is the lore when when you're going through this, you're like, you're describing these things to me and I'm like interested, but like, is it just a peripheral thing or like you can read like a data log occasionally or like, it depends on the game. Okay. So for, for me, Chris, I'm gonna let you take this here, but for me, like we've talked about how like a game like God of War is like kind of a slog for me. The Zelda formula is not necessarily for me. It's, it's, And especially we've talked about Metroidvania games, the backtracking, like it. it, it, My type A brain doesn't like it. I want to know what I'm supposed to be doing, or I want to figure out what I'm doing, but I want it to be the right thing. You know, I I, too many options. It it just it it gets me wigged out. So, but like a game like God of War, like the story and the characters and the lore were so interesting that it made me finish the game, and I'm glad I did. I love that game, even though I the, the actual the minutia of the gameplay is is. I could take it or leave it. Right. So like a game like this, I'm like, is the lore so interesting that I'm going to give dread a try? And is that going to carry me through? Or is it just sort of a thing that like Uber nerds get really into, but like, it's not really the forefront of what's happening here.
1: Well, I'm interested to hear Nick's experience with it, but that is actually part of what drew me into prime as my entry point into the series. And it was through the mechanic of the scan visor that, You can scan everything, like every piece of flora, every, every enemy, and you could play through the whole game and only scan what you need to, to like make the gate turn from blue to green, like Nick said, so that you can shoot it and go through, um, or you could let your curiosity drive you and go, Oh, what is that computer that's displaying that signal? Oh. That and admittedly Prime 2 really iterated on this well in Prime 1 they were literally like little icons over the top of things and in Prime 2 the entire computer would change color if it was like a relevant scan for lore but you could go oh what is this space pirate computer and scan it. And you could hunt out all of those things and it would give you a sense of like the entire space pirate operation on this planet and how things went wrong on this station that you start the prologue in. You could see these like flowing stone surfaces and scan them and get pieces of the lore of the Chozo that lived on Talon 4 and how they built this society and how it came to an end when the, the meteor containing the Metroid Prime crashed into the planet and polluted it with Phazon or you could just play through the whole fucking game and just know that you're there and you're ostensibly looking for Ridley who flew out of the space station and end up in this larger sort of thing. Um, b- but they let you, they rewarded you for interacting with the world in a way that is really true to the core of 2d Metroid with things being hidden And you have to probe every wall with morph ball bombs and with wave beam shots because you don't know what's going to contain a little secret that's going to give you a missile expansion or an energy tank or whatever. And the scan visor kind of expanded upon that. And it let me it let me get as deep into the world as I wanted to, which for me ended up being a whole hell of a lot. I would scan like everything like I remember saying to Josh, like this is like a it's, it's like a scientific like this is a scientific expedition, like I'm scanning everything every single thing, even if it wasn't going to go in my logbook and give me a hundred percent, like I still wanted to know and I could because of the scan visor. Um, but I wonder about, uh, what that was like for you, Nick. And if it was something that drew you in or if it felt like, uh, a collectible checklist chore at the end of the day. Uh, well, i I think that, um, not all scan logs are built equal.
0: Uh, I can't remember when they implemented it, if it wasn't echoes or if it wasn't corruption where, like you said, there would be a more like these are the more relevant things to scan. They're red, so they're actually lore things that you're scanning, and those were definitely the longer like paragraph kind of things. Um, but yeah, it's it's like item descriptions in Dark Souls. Like if you really want to know what's going on in this place, you have to do the work. You have to read it. Where a lot of uh, newer games would not have that sort of uh, bravery to do that because they know the audience would not actually be interacting with the thing. You're more like to get a audio log like in Bioshock. I think that that's like sort of the modern implementation of this sort of, uh, passive storytelling, but I think it does make the world a more lived in sort of area. You are a visitor to this place where things have happened already. You're not sort of an active participant in the story. Um, and they changed that a little bit into where you actually have a living thing that is telling you what's going on and requesting you to do stuff, which I think sort of downplays the um, the historical use of Samus as being a bounty hunter and this isolated character and turned into more of a here, I'm, here I am to tell you to go do the thing. And then you go do the thing and you come back and he says, thank you. Now you've done that thing. That's time to go do this other thing. Uh, but no, you would not like this game. You would not like any of these games, EJ. They're definitely not what you're looking for uh they do not have a story it is there's lore there's things that have happened there are stories but it is not a a, a traditional sort of story in in a, in a lot of ways
2: that disappoints me cuz the way chris you talk about it i want to i want to get into it and i was watching the treehouse video and like objectively the game looks very cool but i'm just having these flashbacks to the the most recent metroidvania game, games that i've played and i'm like i know it's not for me i just don't i've tried you know i've tried um and the closest thing like we've talked about before the closest thing to a metroidvania game that i've really gotten into is all those the, the yeah yeah the the roguelite metroidvania inspired games right where it doesn't it doesn't like fuck up my type A brain to be like well it doesn't matter because I'm going to die I'm going to reset anyway so like I don't feel this compulsion to like well I have to go here and I have to go here and it like stresses me out it's like knowing that it's all going to get reset gives me this freedom to just play how I want and in a Metroidvania game I feel like no matter what I'm doing I'm doing something wrong or in the wrong order or like I know I'm supposed to go here next but I haven't done everything back here and it just make, it just makes it stressful and unfun for me and uh, that is super unfortunate, you know? I want to share
1: this hype with you guys. Well, let me give you a couple things maybe to ease your mind. Uh, first is that I, I want to draw a little bit of a distinction between the way that the Prime Trilogy did things by way of the older games and what Fusion did and to a certain extent Zero Mission by aping some of the things that worked from Fusion that they were giving you more explicit story. Um, as you were going from like sector to sector on the uh, uh, ship in Metroid Fusion, you'd have sections where you would get some text of like Samus's inner monologue. A lot of text. A lot of text. So even much just, text. Uh, Samus's inner monologue. <laughs> it's mostly Adam telling you what to
0: do. Yeah. Like what's happening. But I think EJ, it would be interesting for you to give Fusion or Zero Mission a shot because they are much more uh, the linear experience and the directed experience. And I wonder if that would be enough to assuage your type A sort of brain, because it, especially in something like Zero Mission, Fusion is has a little bit less of this, but you're not going to fill out the map, especially not the first time you go through it. You're going to see areas where you can't get to, and it's going to show on your map. You're going to have a little blank square that you haven't been inside of yet, and you're going to have to live with that for a while until you get the thing that you need to get in there. And that's supposed to be, for you know normal people like me and Chris, that is a you know a a carrot on the end of the stick and for you it is the the switch hitting you like you don't like that <laughs> yeah. but we do and that's like something that we can't really yeah necessarily understand but like just from how much i've talked to you i don't think that you would enjoy the prime games especially but i want you to try out uh, zero mission or fusion because fusion i think is a lot harder than zero mission um i didn't try it yes. on the easier difficulty i played it on normal on both of them but i feel like zero mission is much more approachable from just a moment to moment like gameplay like shooting stuff and not dying sort of thing the F- the fusion bosses are super hard in comparison to zero mission especially is zero mission a remake uh, or
2: a retelling of like
0: yeah it's a retelling i would say retelling of uh, the original metroid game
1: with some added stuff at the end because they have to <laughs> yes fusion has plot and dread is going to have plot
0: If want to talk about the metroid timeline we can get to that in just a minute
1: yeah but uh, and and, and dread is going to have the recap of here are the beats you need to know from Metroid, from Metroid two, from Super Metroid and from Fusion because Metroid Dread, they, they said in the trailer is is Metroid five and it's going to conclude this arc that's been going. And really, in the early Metroid games, it was this is the story and the entire game is the journey through that story without any sort of handholding. Like in Metroid one, you're in Zebes which is Samus's former homeworld. It's been taken over by space pirates. They're using the Metroids as a biological weapon. Go fuck them up. That's it. Metroid 2. We need to exterminate every Metroid on their homeworld because otherwise they're going to be used as weapons of war. Go. And then at the end of the game, you get the little baby Metroid, which is the last Metroid in the galaxy. And then in Super Metroid, the last Metroid is in captivity. The galaxy is at peace. Oh, fuck. It's Ridley. He's Jack and the met or Jack and the Metroid that's left. It's gone. You're going to have to go get it back. Go. And then in Metroid Fusion, I guess we're doing the timeline now um, by way of plot. Metroid Fusion. As it turns out, eradicating an entire species from a planet dramatically fucks up their ecosystem. And the Metroids were created to combat a very specific parasite, which Samus is now infected with. So to save her life, they inject her with Metroid DNA. Irony, uh, which, you know, makes her, gives her certain abilities, but also makes her vulnerable to cold as the Metroids are. Uh, and the, uh, the, the ex parasite has created a, a copy of Samus from pieces of her suit that were cut off of her body during the surgery that saved her life. And you've got to go deal with that. Um, and Metroid dread will conclude sort of that little arc worth of things i guess spoilers for metroid fusion the galactic federation is breeding metroids to use them as a weapon same that the space pirates did and samus was like i don't fuck with that and so destroys their space station by crashing it into the metroid's homeworld, which also destroys it and she promptly fucks off into space uh having made an enemy of basically her employer for the last four games
2: what correlation does this have to the Prime Games, if at all? Because I saw the screenshot you posted, Nick, in the group chat um, about Project Dread or something. Yeah. What what what's the correlation here between those games, and what 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 do those take place?
0: So from a top level, the um, the core Metroid games, I guess you'd call them, the numbered Metroid games, one through four which one and two were named su- such, but three is super Metroid. It says Metroid three, and then it says super Metroid on the title screen, same with fusion, Metroid four, and then it switches over to Metroid fusion. So now we're at Metroid five, which is why they introduced it that way. Those have traditionally been um, made by Nintendo proper over in Japan. The prime games were adopted by retro, which was a new studio that they made to try and uh, appeal to Western audiences with a first person uh, style game, which then, uh, eventually turn into the metroid prime series and then you've got like one other spinoff with other m which we can talk about later but we do not talk the correlati- about other m <laughs> the correlation with uh the metroid project dread they denied it they said that it was just like a thing they talked about but back in like what was the 2005 2006 there was an ign report of a ds game in the works called metroid dread they even talked about this in that same treehouse they are t- they are talking about watching um some gameplay of metroid dread on the switch and sakamoto who is the producer of the 2d metroid games in large part and then also other m was uh giving a little bit of history on the the development of this game where it originally did start as a ds game then it got shit canned and then it got it started up again as another ds game maybe on 3ds but then they shit canned it again and then uh he worked with mercury steam and Nintendo EPD, and made Samus Returns, which was a remake of Metroid 2, Return of Samus. Notice the title. Slightly different. Uh, And he had such a good experience with that. They liked uh, working together so much that they decided to go forward with this game that had been kicking around in his old old head for 16 or so years. That's sort of like the long and short of it. Mostly long of it. Could get longer.
2: (laughs) As far as the lore is concerned, what correlation is there between Again, I'm. Do the Metroid Prime games
0: take place within the canon, or are they like a weird? They do, but also, um, they're not treated with the same level of respect. I think as the core line games. Well, I think uh, a lot of what Sakamoto does, it <laughs> seems like he's not. It's not his baby, so like he's not as interested in it. Like it's canon when it's like relevant or it's convenient. A lot of
1: times. So I, I it's they can sort of take it or leave it, I guess he was kind of a petulant bastard about it as as recently as like four or five years ago where he was like, it's not canon. Um, But now he is. I think he softened a lot on that, even just since the release of Samus Returns, where. In the lore of the final boss of that game, um Oh, fuck can I even talk about this without just like spoiling the shit out of it? Nick, you already know what the final boss is, right? I already know what it is. Yeah, sure, whatever. EJ, you're not going to play it. it. <laughs> you're not going to play it. It's on 3DS. You're not going to play <laughs> it. Yeah, they yeah. give you they so the final boss of of Metroid 2 on the Game Boy is the Metroid Queen, you know, brood mother of the Metroid race. Uh and in uh Samus Returns on the 3DS, you you get out of the planet as in Metroid 2 with the hatchling Metroid. Uh and when you get back to the surface, fucking ridley fight ridley finally gets to be the final boss of a metroid game um and it's an excellent fight as an aside well you're not counting mecha ridley from zero mission no because it's ass uh so (laughs) anyway and in the guidebook for samus returns they specifically talk about protean ridley which is what they subtitled the ridley from Samus returns uh that the prime games happen in between metroid 1 and metroid 2 and in the Prime series, Ridley is largely mechanized. He was rushed to the, the space station over Talon 4, where you later find him to repair what was left of his body after Metroid 1. Uh, but his healing factor is is restoring him slowly over time. And so the Ridley you fight in Samus Returns, which was overseen by Sakamoto, shows that the organic components are coming back faster and faster. So he's been bridging the gap. But the Prime games happen between Prime 1 and Prime 2, sakamoto used to be a dick about like you said nick that's not my baby fuck the prime games but i think he's recognized that this is not (laughs) this is not the way and this is not going to excite anyone and we need to unite these things moving forward because prime four is coming slowly but surely and the prime trilogy port is coming slowly but surely and so they got to make money for they got to make money for the big end so they need to get their house in order uh, so there is increasing continuity. Uh, the Prime games happen between one and two because um, the other games flow pretty seamlessly from one to the other.
0: Yeah, there's sort of like an indefinite period of time between uh, Samus's original mission to Zebes to fight the space pirates and take down Mother Brain and her being uh, commissioned by the Galactic Federation to go to SR388 and exterminate all the Metroids. The Metroid's also being literally a biological weapon uh, created by the Chozo, which is like an ancient bird race that uh, created the power armor that Samus uses and who adopted her when her parents were murdered by Ridley. And a lot of this isn't even talked about in the games. It's like sort of uh, superficial text. It's in like mangas and like guidebooks and like stuff like that. So it's not incredibly relevant to the actual gameplay or the story necessarily. It's just like oh, I have to fight this big dragon thing. It's not, oh, that's Ridley who ate my parents in front of me. You know, it's not very explicit. It's a lot of uh, don't show and don't tell, just fight the lizard man. <laughs> ah,
2: that's frustrating.
0: And the and the, the, the two times they, they really, really deviated from that, it showed how poor story fits into the pacing of the gameplay of a Metroidvania in this style where Metroidvania is, I think, excel in the way video games like only video games can where it is about discovery it is about the location in the setting and how everything pieces together versus a traditional you know hero's journey kind of story
2: i'm gonna get my hands on the game i am gonna play it only so that i can have an informed discussion with you guys okay and sure. e- even if i hate it i know it's just because the game's not for me so i can go at least go into it with knowing that right so I'm not gonna you know hopefully be a Debbie downer but but like God of War, which we we never did do the podcast on, but between the two of you, I was like i have to I have to play this game so that we can talk about it uh and I'm glad I did so this might be one of those one of those fucking games,
0: but I would recommend if you do uh do you want to really give it a shot go ahead play with a guide you know don't don't let yourself get frustrated, don't beat your head against it uh be told what to do I don't know how uh hand-holding this game is gonna be they have shown that. The uh, computer from Fusion is back in this game. So you, from what they've shown in the Treehouse footage, it is not nearly as uh, exposition heavy. It's not telling you every single thing that's going on. It's not going to be so deliberate in that aspect. But it does seem like maybe uh, Zero Mission style where you'd sort of get a pointer on a map. And then you say, oh, I know I have to go there. How do I get there? Like, that's up to me. But like I know that's where I'm supposed to go. So I know that... If I'm beating my head up against something that maybe I'm supposed to be doing the right thing, I know like that's next.
1: They also have shown off a substantially uh more engageable map. Uh in the sense that you will be able to see all of the doors of a certain kind that are only openable by certain weapons. Uh you'll be able big, to see big, big news. Yeah. You'll be able to see icons of a specific nature as they pertain to different, presumably obstacles. You can only move with certain items that it may be like question mark, question mark, question mark when you don't have that item. But once you get say like the ice beam, it's going to say ice beam door and you will understand, Oh, I can go through there. I've been able to go through there before. And it looks like it's going to be a lot more user friendly for that very reason. Uh, which will be good for you. And I'm glad you're buying it because a lot of people need to buy this game so I can get more fucking Metroid games. Selfish much? Yes, I'm selfish. Nintendo is at a point now where like,
2: like they can kind of do what they want. And and for the last decade, they haven't really been in that position. Um, they've had to be a little more careful, I think, with the things they do. I don't know if that's been for better or for worse or like Nintendo still made some pretty dumb decisions in that time. But it's like, hey, guess what? We can make a Metroid game and if it only sells a million and a half copies, like, sick. We're making a new Metroid game. And I don't know. I, I never know, like, how much how much of, like, the corporate, like, boardroom sort of decision making trickles down versus, like, how much of this is... Um, is it creators creating? You know? Yeah.
0: The vibe I get is it is definitely creators, like, creator-led. Like, they need... To have a person that is pitching ideas and like really believes in uh, game franchises that's how you see pikmin get three fucking games it's only because miyamoto is the head of that yeah and he's like i believe in this thing it's not gonna sell but it's my baby and like he's the one that makes that thing happen so i'm, I'm glad i'm glad that um sakamoto hasn't given up and is still willing to make these 2d games and it was unfortunate that retro kind of got um sidelined and for like you know, obviously for Metroid fans, it's it's a bummer because you get prime, you get three prime games, and then they got pushed onto Donkey Kong Country, which a lot of people love, and those which games sell super well. Donkey Kong excellent. is a huge franchise. Yeah, They've yeah, they're been great games. Fucking excellent. I don't think they necessarily have the same kind of uh, identity or love behind them as a Metroid Prime trilogy does, though.
1: Oh no, you're totally right, and I- exactly what you just said about creator-driven and Sakamoto is that he's talking. I can't wait for you to see all the future chapters of Metroid games that I have planned. Like th- th- this is a dude who's been waiting, I think for his moment for a long time. And like you said, he's been cooking this game for like 15 years. And he's like, we finally have the right team, the right hardware, the right power to tell the story that I've been wanting to tell. And now we can get on to uh, get on to other things. Even Metroid prime four has been for years. They've said, we know the story we want to tell. It's just a matter of getting the game into development. It's a game about, it's a game about Samus and Silex from Metroid Prime Hunters. Like at the end credits of Metroid Prime 3, spoilers for Metroid Prime 3, you see Silux's ship from Metroid Prime Hunters following Samus's gunship into space. So like we know. Yeah, ex- and I think they even touch
0: on that on in, uh, Federation Force. I was watching a compilation of some really? scenes from that game. Yeah. And that's referenced in there because that takes place after um, corruption canonically, I think. I didn't even play that game. That should tell you how fucking shitty yeah, that's that okay. game was. It's okay. It's like there was a single player campaign in that. Yeah, I mean, you're playing as this Galactic Galactic Federation character in a mech suit. There's a Samus sort of uh uh I guess you could call it a cameo and like boss fight. And then uh yeah, I think they, they touch on the Silex stuff. I think he's like stealing a some some Metroid thing or something, probably. I don't know. That's all weird. Yeah, the the prime the prime series in general is very strange. It's sort of like the the Western interpretation of Metroid, and how canon it is sort of changes from year to year. I think Sakamoto is definitely like once bitten, twice shy from the uh, the reception to other M, and while I think that there was ideas that had merit in that game, obviously the execution was uh, subpar and it's a, it's really unfortunate and people, you know, i think people are much too precious with the the games the the series in general and the character of samus in particular to uh try something that experimental. Well, so i, I don't know how much like if you just watch if you watch any of the the quick not quick time events, but you know like the slow motion like battle moment cutscene shit from like Samus Returns, i think that is heavily informed by Prime and I was actually reading some. Um, it was like an old uh, IGN uh, interview with um, like Kensuke Tanabe and like some of the people from Retro and Miyamoto and stuff at Retro Studios. And like talking, like the Tanabe was like talking about um, asking Sakamoto like about the character of Samus and asking him if someone, if like, okay, a space pirate is holding a character that Samus is trying to save like at gunpoint. And says like surrender, or I will shoot this person. Like, what would Samus do? And, and like Sakamoto is like, Samus would not hesitate. She would just shoot the space pirate. Like, that's just what she does. She takes care of the enemy and is cool, calm, cool, collected about it. But that's also the same guy that, you know, wrote and produced other M. So obviously, it's he's not like the golden child. He doesn't have uh, all the right ideas. And, but he's also trying to like willing to try stuff out, which I think that's, that's, that's great. You know, you have to, you have to take some wild swings sometimes. And I do want to talk about other M some more with you, Chris, because it is obviously a super contentious game amongst the fan base, but I don't necessarily see it as maybe uh, deserving of all that much hatred. It's
1: kind of a meme. <laughs> we need to talk about it. And I hate to like simplify things to this degree but i'm going to anyway say character assassination i dare you no 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 i was <laughs> gonna say like li- uh, like li- literally this is just a matter of like giving all of the japanese men who made these games like free license to write the story that they think is compelling for a woman and like it, it it's just the it's just a misogyny that's inherent in japanese culture like laid plain that they the th- th- all of the little things about like Samus and motherhood and like the attachment to the baby Metroid, like they didn't whack you over the head with it with a fucking two by four in Metroid Two and Super Metroid. They just left it for us to imagine that this tiny little Metroid hatches, it's swirling around Samus while you leave SR three eighty eight, and then in Super Metroid it gets kidnapped. You go to try to you go to try to rescue it, and it ends up saving your life and dying. Like it is literally. The arc of like a mother and a child and the child dying too soon without it being so fucking ham-fisted and without reducing Samus to, like you said, a fucking meme. And then in other M, as soon as they let all these fucking dudes write the script, it just became like I'm racked with guilt over the baby Metroid dying to save my life, and I still hear its cry and it makes me lactate. Like I just it was fucking terrible. It was fucking awful. And that's so fucking irritating to me because Other M played so well. It was a really good fucking video game if they would have never let them write a single fucking word of dialogue. And the whole core conceit of a lot of the Metroid games is like, Samus loses her power-ups, and it's like, how is she gonna get depowered at the start of the game so that you have to go find all these power-ups? And in Other M, Samus... A freelancing bounty hunter who is not under the purview of the Galactic Federation's military runs into her old commanding officer and says, Oh, yes, daddy, I will obey your every orders and literally shuts off all of her high-powered weaponry and will not use it again until Adam tells her she can. So they made, yes, they made Samus a fucking meme, and that meme is every powerful woman in Japanese media written by Japanese dudes Because they think that, oh, these are the conflicts that women face because God fucking knows there aren't any women in those writers rooms because they're not allowed to be. So, no, they fucking ruined it. They took what could have been a very interesting exploration of Samus's backstory questions I wanted to have answered since I played Metroid Fusion about, like, who is this Adam guy? All we knew is it was her former commanding officer. And instead, it became this whole, like, daddy issues allegory With Samus saying, oh, yeah, I guess that my badass I could waste you if I wanted to self is going to turn off power bombs just because you fucking tell me to. And it wasted an interesting game with good combat, an interesting environment. I thought the best suit design that they'd had in years on all of this, like fucking narrative drivel about Samus feeling like a shitty mother because the Metroid died. Oh, fuck, man. Fuck that fucking game. I wanted that game to be good. Okay. <laughs> you I, asked for this! 1,000% one, <laughs> 1, am
2: with you not knowing anything about this, just based on your description. <laughs> totally with you. And obviously, I've seen the memes of Other M for all these years, but two things. For a a species that went extinct, there sure seemed to be a lot of fucking Metroids.
0: Yeah, that is a recurring theme. That, uh, <laughs> and... Guess what? <laughs> I, I even saw literally there's a meme on the Metroid subreddit where it's like uh, they're talking about, you know, Metroid Dread. Like, okay, so the, the X-Parasite are extinct. The Metroids are extinct. And then it's just the, the lady from WandaVision, you know, just
1: like, yeah, yeah, we believe you. <laughs> there's one Metroid right. alive after Metroid <laughs> 2. There's one Metroid alive after Metroid 2. That is it. And then it dies, and then it's not the last Metroid because guess what? Fusion Brood Mother. Oh and Other yeah. M. yeah, 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 yeah. In, in in Fusion, they were breeding. Well, there aren't any Metroids in Other M. There aren't any Metroids. They're growing. The Galactic Federation is growing a a, a synthetic you fight a Queen Metroid. Uh oh. Oh, you do.
0: They literally have how clone they explain, Metroids.
1: How did they explain that away? I don't even remember. Other M. Sucked. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. There, there's
0: there's a scene. Okay. Yeah. Because I do want to get into this. I think that. There is merit in those plot conceits, but yes, they were very ham fisted and poorly thought through. And just the, the method that they, they went with uh, the storytelling is hard to not make it a drawn out. Like, like a uh, mope fest where it is almost, I would say 50% of the dialogue is Samus narrating inside her head. It is a, a inter- internal monologue the entire game. And it deals with the um, the grief of this, like the only characters, the only things that she's been close to has been this commanding officer that she saw as a father figure after her parents were dead. And but you know you don't really get the the the, the because it's only been in the manga where she was raised by these chozo, so you don't see that, which is unfortunate, a but fucking also wasted opportunity. understandable. It is a wasted opportunity. I agree with you there. They they touched on that more in like zero mission and stuff like that, but I think they could have they could have touched on that more, but I don't think it is necessarily as like it is misogynistic to an extent, but um the whole relationship with Adam was was difficult and a poor representation. I could see like what they were going for and they did not stick the landing. And like you said, like they could have easily just said Samus we're on a literal derelict space station don't use your crazy powerful alien weapons until we know what's going on like that could have been a much easier sort of explanation to this sort of debacle instead of it being a I have to do what you're telling me to because I gave the thumbs up and you called me the the thumbs down and you called me lady when I was younger which I don't know like I I think that you and I would probably agree that it was cool seeing a younger Samus and having that characterization of her being like a brash and like just an asshole. And like, that's cool. Like I like that characterization, but then dealing with the trauma of a recent loss of a, a basic child, like basically your child and sort of that. I don't know how much it exemplifies weakness as much as it does humanity, but also I don't think anybody really wants Samus to be human. They want her to be like
1: a cool character. It could have, Exemplified humanity, but that's not the way they wrote it. Right. They wrote it yeah. to be, oh my god, my ovaries are swelling because this Metroid was my child. Like, and that's just I it. think you're mischaracterizing. I think I think time
0: accentuates some wounds. And having just watched literally the all the cutscenes, a lot of the gameplay, I don't think like people talk about the the Ridley scene as being a character assassination that she's fought Ridley so many times and has not had this sort of like PTSD moment, but I don't think that's necessarily the way they showed it. I think it was more of just like a moment of freezing. Like I thought I killed you asshole sort of, sort of moment and her struggling with that. But I think just the, the nature of um, the very anime and like J drama style of uh, accentuated like voice performance in particular like, you got that, too, when Adam does this self-sacrifice move later and she's, like, struggling to maintain her power suit because it's, like, mentally driven. Like, it's her focusing that keeps the power suit, like, active. So she's, like, cutting in and out and it's, like, a dramatic moment. But it's, I think on a Western audience especially, and, like, after this awful sort of dialogue they had right before there, it turns it into a a moment of, uh, like not like almost emasculating Samus and like turning her into a weak character because she's not manly enough to allow Adam to make this decision. But it's also playing on a poorly established notion earlier on where Adam sacrificed his own brother to save a space station full of people. And it's just sort of, they have these ideas and they make sense when they're cobbled together, but it's just not cohesive enough and not like they're not earned moments. There's a lot of cool moments. It's almost like a Zack Snyder movie in a lot of ways. It's just like, this would be cool had it been executed well, but because the execution was so poor, it's now unforgivable.
1: (laughs) Right. That's just it. Like, it was a bunch of interesting, well-intentioned ideas that did not work. And that, like, no, I'm not going to say character assassination because you fucking dared me to. So I'm not going to say it. (laughs) but that were (laughs) she had no character to assassinate so it doesn't matter That were (laughs) radically inconsistent with everything else they had ever done and so like it's one thing if you want to like develop the character in a way that makes sense and if you want to like give me a flashback in the moment where Samus is like staring down Ridley where she remembers her parents dying I would have fucking eaten that up I would have eaten that right the fuck up but instead it's oh my god I can't I'm having PTSD now for the first and only time. Like it just it just didn't work. It didn't work. And again, if they yeah. had anyone It's the in- only
0: game with like actual voiced like cutscenes basically. And it's trying to establish that this late in like a a game series is difficult as it is, but
1: get get some women in the room. Get some fucking women in the room. Get anyone without a penis in that fucking writers room and they're going to go this ain't it. This ain't it. Like you, you understand how this is going to read, right? Like you, you, you understand that this is not going to land the way you think it's going to land. Like they needed someone to tell them this is not going to land the way you think it's going to land on a Western audience.
0: Yeah. I mean, these are also the same people responsible for every other Metroid game before that, barring the prime series. So you can't really lay that much blame at just the writing team. But I think I don't know how much of it is just like the, the trouble development and the fact that it was between um, Nintendo proper uh, team Ninja responsible for like the Ninja Gaiden and um, the dead or alive developers. They sure know how to, they sure know how to write women. Well, they were, they didn't write anything. It was all Sakamoto. So they, they were quick to say that like it was only Sakamoto that like wrote this basically. And then also working with an outside um, team for the cutscenes. And I wonder how much that, really put stress on just the development cycle in general but it's a it's a i think obviously you don't like it i wouldn't say that i like it but a lot i would it's probably mostly canon so like that happened i know it and did. you have to sort of you sort of have to like there was cool stuff in there like the the whole uh little birdie being ridley thing is cool like i think that was actually a cool thing that they did and it explains why there was a Ridley on the the biologic space laboratory that is in fusion with neo Ridley as being an ex parasite mimic and like there's ramifications for this stuff and it's just another you know clone facility for for metroids and like the whole m b thing is dumb as hell there was just there was too much there was too much stuff that just happened and it it was like overwrought, but I don't think there's um it's interesting. I I like it in that it is so uh divisive. I like divisive art and like things that inspire conversation like we're having right now. Watch I think Twin that Geeks. has a lot of merit. Um watch season 8 of Game of Thrones. You know, like it's bad, but like we'll talk about it. <laughs> um I'm going to watch it on my phone later. How about that? <laughs> on a fucking cell phone. Anyway, we had to talk about other M. Other M takes place, EJ, so you know, between Super Metroid and Metroid Fusion, so it's between three and four. So a lot, actually, there's like some really cool stuff where, like, just seeing CG cutscenes of Samus fighting the Mother Brain, and then the Metroid saving her, and that Metroid then being splattered all over her armor, and her fighting with the hyper beam against the the Mother Brain is like super fucking badass. There's so and much, like a th- really cool. It's it's a really cool like gift to the fans and like some ways but that just makes it hurt that much more when you get this like really bad story (laughs) it
1: does it fucking does there was (laughs) there was so much that worked so well in that game and it really just
0: what do you think of when I say the deleter
1: (laughs) I don't fucking know I literally don't even even remember remember. did it even resolve There's like this whole
0: (laughs) no it didn't resolve at all (laughs)
1: That's what I remember. that they're like, oh, there's somebody who's like assassinating Galactic Federation officers, like a scene with a forklift and they like knock things over yep. and then they like run away the whole fight and then, scene. and then that's yep. it. It's never resolved.
0: They kill a guy and then MB kills them. It's probably like one of the dudes, you know, it. it's just a very bizarre game. <laughs> they, it's like they came up with a bunch of ideas and no one ever said, does this need to happen? It's <laughs> like, no, let's do it all. <laughs> and none of it really matters. It's literally on a bottle ship. It's a bottle episode, really, in like oh, a series yeah. a that bottle, is a bottle
1: with bottle ship, <laughs> A bottle ship emitting a distress signal known as a baby's cry. Yeah. Stop it. I'm not fucking with
0: you. And it's called Metroid Other M. What is the, uh, what would you shorten that to? What's the... Stop it. Yeah, and then there's uh, a main bad guy as is an, is an android named MB who is, uh, raised basically by this doctor on the ship uh who's uh miranda melinda i can't remember the the, i think it's melinda bergman and she uh, mb is melissa bergman but she's also a copy of mother brain so that's why she goes by mb and mother brain is a um ai like physical it's a it's an ai computer and basically a giant brain that was created by the chozo however long ago and there's 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 too much stuff going on in metroid (laughs) in general that's like never talked about in the games themselves but it makes for cool lore and it makes for like an interesting like sort of world building exercise but i think they crammed way too much in other m and they having characters talk about it makes it insanely more stupid than if you're just like reading about it and like thinking about it in your head
2: (laughs) it's very funny to me let me ask you guys Really, I'm asking Nick because, Chris, I think, like you said earlier, you are too close to this. Um, Not that your perspective is not valuable, but I'm curious, honestly, in a world where we have so many indie games that do this, and many of these games have done Metroid better than Metroid, Like, is there still a place for this? Or is this really just an old Japanese guy finally getting to see through his vision for something that, like, older fans are here for, but like really, is there a place for this or is this just some low key fan service? And, and for all we know, this could be the end of, of Metroid. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they've historically
0: not sold well. I mean, I mean, there's gonna be a dread and prime four, then whatever Metroid they do get. Like there, there's no such thing as a dead Nintendo franchise is a dormant one. <laughs> yeah. So as long as they can milk it, like they're going to milk it. So I, I don't know. I don't really know what you mean by is there a need? Like, what do you mean by that?
2: Like, well, not even is there a need, but like, yeah, how do you quantify that? Like, how many other games do exactly
0: what Metroid does?
2: Like, wh- what is Metroid doing differently other than just being Metroid, right? Same reason we haven't really gotten a Castlevania game in so long. Like, why would Konami invest that kind of money into doing something that all these other developers have done better over the years? It, they're just, there isn't necessarily a fucking Metroidvania vacuum waiting to be filled by either of those franchises, uh, except for a very, very not so silent minority, right? Like, I just, I'm cur- I'm just curious, like, is it, this seems maybe kind of frivolous, or, or is this like. That's
0: everything if you really boil it down okay, to. Okay. There's that, no need yeah. for any entertainment. Like, okay,
1: but. What's the point of a Star Wars? <laughs> the people who played Hollow Knight, the people who played guacamelee they played metroid first and so like people are waiting for this i really think so i really think so that there are people who played metroid and if not the people
0: who played it the people who made uh guacamelee and made hollow knight and right you know all those other metroid like they're they're inspired they're clearly they grew up with it and it it's a cycle you know it's it's a it's a it's a constantly moving circle Nintendo can choose to um, participate in that sort of growth of the genre or they can choose not to. And I don't think Dread is going to be like groundbreaking it anyway. I no. do not expect that at all. I think this is going to be a good Metroid game.
1: Yeah, and that's all it needs to be. That's all it needs to be is a good Metroid game to remind people like, hey, we made this shit. This is a genre that we created. We can still do it well. It might not be like industry shattering by any means but as long as it is a good to very good metroid game that's all it needs to be
0: yeah especially the 2d ones like i think prime has a much higher ceiling for what it's capable of doing i think that prime 4 could like i don't think it will but i think there is potential that it could be the the breath of the wild of the series where they they break invention and they really innovate in a exciting new way i think that a lot of people I, I don't know how much I put myself in that camp, but I think a lot of people think that Prime One was a innovation and a trendsetter in the first person sort of genre, as it were. Um, and I think that the Prime series has that capability, but I don't think Dread does. I don't think uh, th- I don't think you're really going to see anything that widely like wildly innovative in the the two D Metroidvania sort of genre. Uh, what you see a lot of is Hey, let's try a Metroidvania, but with this, you know, you saw that with steam world dig 2, where it's, Hey, steam world dig was cool. It's kind of, kind of roguelike, kind of a uh, dig dug writ large. Um, let's do that. But Metroidvania and it turns, it turns out that's a really cool fucking game. Like that is a fantastic game, <laughs> but I don't think you're going to see that from Nintendo not with a game that historically doesn't perform as well as their other main IP. I mean, it is one of their oldest. I think they hold it to a higher regard than maybe something like Arms or Splatoon even. So I think that comes uh, with the territory. And like we've talked about with the uh creators sort of being the the shepherds of series, um I don't really see a lot of uh, Sakamoto's output as being like mind-breaking. Like being a cool new thing, especially as like most recently with Samus Returns, like that's kind of a, a return to form in some ways, but also just like a bog standard Metroidvania and a lot of others. Not even that like that Metroid like just uh sort of taking the, the 2D shooter, the run and gun kind of gameplay and having some innovations with the the counter, the melee counter. But even then that not necessarily being like as good as it could be. So I'm hoping just like dread just improves on what was established with Samus Returns. I'm gonna give it the college try. I'm gonna do it. Look, as long as you buy it. I want you to try zero mission also. I think that is a good jumping on point. I'll try whatever, man. Like give it when- a shot. It's like a five, six hour game. Okay, that seems I yeah,
2: I could even if that was a chore, I could sit down and just do it in a night, you know? Part of me wants to say, like, oh, this is what happened with Breath of the Wild. Like, I really, I had zero hype for that game, and then I ended up falling in love with it and beating it, but I'm like, Breath of the Wild was also on the surface much more,
0: like, in my wheelhouse than something like this, so. To some extent, I I kind of think that Breath of the Wild is almost an outlier in games that you really fall, oh, I don't know. Breath of the Wild is a very strange sort of game if you try to look, look at it from, like, from far away and, like, really try and see. What is it that made EJ like that game? Cause I think of games that you do like the Spider-Man games, the like Assassin's Creed Black Flag or or Skyrim, and I see some like sort of similarities with like your you have a lot of options. You everything feels like it's building into some other mechanic or system, and it's got a very tight like gameplay loop, but it's so like wildly open and like free, like it doesn't tell you what to do a lot of the time. You have some basic guidance at the very beginning where you're doing your plateau and then it says hey you should probably go to kakariko but you don't have to you can do whatever the fuck you want i went to the the rainforest first you know like people have millions of different ways that they tackled that game so i'm, I'm not sure what about it was the thing that captured you especially with your um very on on and off sort of relationship with Zelda to begin with. <laughs> like, you really liked Wind Waker, but I think that may be the only other Zelda game that really captured you. You know, so,
2: so. here's what's funny about, like, my taste in games, and it's one of these things that, like, like I am v- I very much, in my day-to-day life, I need direction, I need to know, like, what my goal is, but I do not want to be told how to do it, necessarily. <laughs> and I don't know what do you want for dinner? <laughs> what what I mean I want to I want to like I, it's like playing with bumpers at the bowling alley, you know? Like right. I'm trying to get the strike but like I just need a, just just enough to but I'll figure it out. And in open world games when I play these games like Skyrim or or Black Flag like you mentioned or like oh e- even why why I like Wind Waker so much. Um you know it gives me all this freedom but it doesn't penalize me for not do for not doing things in the right order or for going back and doing x y or z it really is just like hey you can do this thing or you can go off and do this other thing and you're still going to get where you need to go but you're doing it your way and that sense of like discovery and adventure is is what appeals to me or a game like horizon which is definitely an open world game but more linear than 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 an elder scrolls game or or whatever your game is is greatly enriched by by really slowing down and and hitting all every little detail along the way. But like at no point are you going to be like, damn, I I really, I really got penalized for, for not, you know, in in the way that I feel like in a Metroidvania game where it's like, you were not experiencing the game properly unless you take note of every little nook and cranny and make sure you, you go back and do this. That's how I felt playing Guacamelee, which I thought by like most metrics was, was freaking awesome. Right. But I just, it felt like such a chore to me, you know, so I don't know, like, because if you get really, if you really generalize it, it's like, well, it's all the same fucking thing. Games are all the same, but like, you know, which is, I guess, true. But I'm trying to figure out, like, why why does this one thing that appeal to me, but the other one is like, that's my shit, you know? I don't know. I want to like more things, you know. I want to have more yeah.
0: reasons to chat with my
2: friends about things we like.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if like how much of that is explicit guidance versus implicit guidance. Like, there is a lot of like. Abrasive handholding in some games that I can find distracting and diminishing to the experience. Sure. Um, I think a lot of my favorite games are very light in that aspect. Um, like it's a meme, but like just talking about Dark Souls is a meme. But Dark Souls does a, a fantastic job, in my opinion, of saying, here's what is like what you're supposed to be doing, but you just gotta just go do it. And then you go and do it and uh, some ga- some of the games are more linear and the like, you can't really go off the beaten path and get lost, necessarily. You can get lost in, like, an area, but, like, once you go to a different place, you're in that place now. Um, and just a lot of the, the the story in general, like, that game is not into telling a story, and I appreciate that, too. But, I don't know, it's... Knowing what you like in a game, I think, is a difficult thing to figure out, and... We're, we as people are growing and changing all the time too. So things that you might've not liked when you were younger can suddenly become like the most your shit thing possible. Yeah, <laughs> so it's true. It's impossible to know. Like if you told me a year ago that EJ would be addicted to Warzone and be playing, dropping at the boys and for dance every week, I'd be like, okay, okay, I guess <laughs> I don't know what the hell that dude <laughs> <Yeah>. likes. It's <laughs> yeah. surprising.
1: It's surprising, isn't it? Warzone, Like
2: you said, is just a fucking roguelite. I'm like, yes, it is. that's exactly it. Yeah. I never that's, played that's, a
0: roguelike I didn't like. Yeah, it's multiplayer games though, you know? Every time you play, it's different because you're playing against different people.
2: I, But I'm also, it's a lot easier for me to just be into whatever when I actually have an active play group of people who are excited about the game. It's way easier to get excited and want to get on and play. And, and you know, I, I just spent 18 months completely locked in my fucking two-bedroom house, you know? The only reason I didn't absolutely go crazy and fucking kill myself was because I got to g- get online and play with my friends almost every night for 18 months.
0: Yeah, the way you're drafting these new sets of magic, I mean... Oh, don't get me started, One man. step closer to the edge. <laughs> don't get me started
2: on the drafts. Oh my gosh, what a money sink. I'm just addicted to the draft, dude. I'm
0: addicted! Drafting Magic is the roguelike of
2: of magic. It's so fucking fun and I wish there was a cheaper alternative. Like even like even honestly just buying cards and playing with my friends would be just fucking cheaper than what I am doing drafting literally once or twice a day. And it's like oh if you play if you go like 60% win rate you will you'll go infinite and you never have to spend a dime. Well guess what? I am like barely at five hundred on a on a good day. All right. Like and I'm just yeah, you just dump every every week. It's like eh, a few more gems wouldn't hurt.
0: Yeah, they don't want you winning too much. You know, the house always wins. But I'm not, I'm not playing
2: the house. I'm playing other weird sweaties in Japan at three AM, okay?
0: Well maybe you should stop playing at three AM. Maybe if you, you know, have like a normal a normal day cycle. I don't want to would... hear
2: it from you, Mr. Normal, not normal day cycle. Hey, I have a full-time job. Listen,
0: I heard you applied for a day shift. I like I that shit. See how that goes. I had my interview Friday, not this last Friday, but the Friday before that. So hopefully by this week, they'll let me know if I'm, if I'm in it or out of it. Dude, dude that'd fucking,
2: be tight. They got a fucking interview? Like, Yeah, seriously. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, I've been here fucking 10 years, man. Just like, give me the day shift. Get this
0: man off a of graveyard.
2: I know. Do you get, Is there a
0: raise for switching to day shift? Well, yeah. The, the position I, I applied for is like a shift leader oh, sort nice. of thing. It's a leadership oh, position. Oh, okay. so, yeah.
2: so you're like, okay, I see. That's why they interviewed you. Yeah.
0: Okay, sick. Dude. If I was just transferring, I mean, they have less people uh, driving on the day shift anyway because a lot of the forklifts are being worked. That's when they get worked on, it turns out. like It's when the mechanics sure. and engineers are actually there. So sure. less opportunity for the, the grunts like me to actually drive in circles with them.
2: Sure. Yeah, I hope you get it, man.
0: Yeah. So, Chris, back on the Prime shit. We were talking a little bit in the group chat, and uh reminded me again, when was the last time you played the Prime games? I think you talked about you played Prime 1 recently, did 100% run. Um, uh, when was the last time you played 2 or 3?
1: I was still living in California, so I think probably it's been like 6 years since I played Prime 1. Um, and yeah, when I, when I replayed it last on the trilogy edition on the Wii U on the Wii, but I played it on Wii U, I think I did it in eight hours and needed to guide like two pickups. I got almost everything from memory Mm -hmm. and prime two. I got like three quarters of the way through, um, and then stopped. But I think like I played corruption three times. Yeah. I played it like three times when it came out. I beat it. I beat it on hard. So that I could unlock hyper mode, and then I beat it on hyper mode, um, which was fucking hard. Feel like that'd be kind of a slog. (laughs) It will. I mean the the two the two things that I distinctly remember being really really fucking difficult were that first seek really early sequence where the 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 flying pirates are like pulling the levers, and you have to like get all three of the levers. Oh god! That sequence sucked. That was awful. Um, that and that was like
0: fair. That's not that early. That's like maybe a third of the way through the game.
1: Uh, yeah, that sucked. And then, uh, the last dark Samus fight was really fucking hard on hyper mode. Um, mm-hmm. really, really fucking hard in the best way. Uh, but it's been a long time since I played corruption because it didn't, it didn't really, it didn't really vibe with me. Um, the whole, the whole vibe of the game just felt very unMetroid. It was very, you know, speaking of hamfist, it was very ham where they're like, here is badly voiced dialogue about plot that is happening. Samus, please save us. And then off they go. And like yeah. having three bounty hunters that would later become bosses. And I'm like, why didn't you use the hunters from Metroid Prime Hunters? Like, I don't, why are we getting new characters that are basically just like Walmart versions?" Well, that game
0: wasn't made by retro. So that wasn't their baby. So they had to introduce their own hunters.
1: I mean, whatever. It was still a, a dumb a... <laughs> choice. <I laughs> yeah, mean, you know, I, dumb... I
0: agree. You're expected to like, give a shit about these characters and then be like, oh, there's supposed to be like pathos to this, but there, there isn't. And also I literally like there's like, you know, lore scans that you can get for the three hunters. And like one of them is like uh, Rundus, the ice guy is supposed to be like, he's always so full of himself and he thinks that he's the best hunter and that you're his like main competition, blah, blah, blah. And then like in the gameplay, he's like the homie and he, and during that first mission on Norian, where you have to take out the power generators or restart the power generators he's like, Oh, I'll take care of B if you take care of C. And then he's just like a, a cool homie. And then you have to fight him. He's the first one that you fight. And you're like, this is like, the, I feel nothing with this fight. <laughs> and then the, then there's like an overwrought kind of, uh, uh, FMV cut scene at the end after you beat the game where Samus is like. Sitting on a planet and like thinking about, oh yeah, those are the the hunters that helped me out at the beginning and then I had to fight and kill. Okay, I'm going to transform in zero suit and go in my ship and away we go. Thumbs up to the Admiral. (laughs) It's pretty funny. Pretty funny. (laughs) But just like, as far as like gameplay and like the design of the levels and everything, I think that Corruption is probably second only to Echoes. I think Echoes probably has the best uh, map design out of the three games. My only like major complaint with the maps and echoes being that the uh, the overworld area is too visually similar to um, the the wastes.
1: Yes, I and agree. That it's just
0: like two different. It's just two deserts, and the desert areas and all the three Ds. Uh, Metroid games are pretty fucking tired.
1: <laughs> Metroid Metroid Prime Three did something that I want them to do more of, and that I'm hoping to God they do in Prime Four where they gave you a whole bunch of different, really distinct worlds to travel to. And they basically Mm. amounted to like beefy versions of single regions in like prime one or prime two, right? Like one of, one of the planets would be like Agon Waste or Fendrana drifts, which by the way is like probably the single most impressive area in any of them, um, Fendrana drifts like soundtrack is, man, I would go to sleep listening to that soundtrack. It's just absolutely unbelievable. Um, Anyway, I digress. Uh, uh, but I, I mean, I know that you you said this in in group chat, uh, Nick, and I think that I, I stand by what I said, which is that you you are one among few that you're willing to look past all of the stuff that makes Metroid Prime 3 not feel like a Metroid game or even a Metroid Prime game. and I can't look past that. It's just really narratively jarring to come out of these like really lonely, interesting introspective experiences and get dropped into retro studios trying to make a, like a sci-fi epic. Like it just didn't make any fucking sense to me. Like even the, even the soundtrack, like a lot of the big score pieces were just so generic and bad. Like I,
0: I, yeah, it's pretty bad.
1: And so I just, I can't get past that in spite of it. Like to me, controlling very well with the, like the Wii controls and like I liked I had been asking forever for, uh, yes, I was the one that the grapple beam weaponry was for, that I'd been asking forever, like, give me a grapple beam that I can, like, whip onto people and rip their shields off and, like, hit them with it and stuff like that, and they gave me that, and I I liked interacting with the
0: world. It was badly utilized, though. Like, the grapple beam is just, like, another another, uh, key to unlock things. And you occasionally use it to fight some flying robots in Skytown and to take the shields off of some of, and you don't even have to, you just go hyper mode and fucking blast them away at the space pirates that have shields. So like that doesn't really matter. <laughs> but the things that I do like, I like the linear beam uh, progression. We talked about that a little bit. Whereas in a uh, prime one, that was like my biggest downside is like switching the goddamn beam all the time sucked to open the doors. It's like, I have the thing. You just let me unlock the door with whatever beam I have out. And then the color coded enemies is just like lazy and like poorly intimate implemented. Uh, Prime two, they improve that quite a lot with the dark beam and the light beam where it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty obvious that your light beam is going to be working a lot better in dark aether than the the dark beam. But I'm not sure how I feel necessarily. I never really um, had the the tension of losing ammo. I thought that was, strange choice to have your beams tied to an ammo type but also as soon as they told you hey you're going to get more light ammo if you kill something with a dark beam or you get more dark ammo if you kill something with a light beam that sort of turned into a cool kind of almost doom uh, like juggle of being hey I need more of this so I have to I have to change out my uh, approach to get more ammo I thought that was a cool way to go about it especially since uh, I don't know how... I had the trouble with the uh, the the pirate boss in Prime 1 where I ran out of, out of missiles, but it's so rare that you actually run out of missiles in these games. Like, you can just spam that motherfucker and it doesn't matter. But also, at the same time, I never used, like, the flamethrower or, like, the ancillary upgrades in Prime oh, 1 where you no actually... Oh, no way. No way. Yeah, I, just, I, I didn't feel like it was, uh, like, that useful. I used them more in Prime 2. I used, like, the dark burst and sunburst a lot more in Prime 2, but I, I wasn't, like... I never had trouble fighting anything in prime one, except for bosses sometimes. And at that point, if I was out of missiles, it's not like I was going to use them on a flamethrower anyway. Oh man. So I played the first one on normal and then the rest of them I was playing on veteran. But even then, like it has turned uh, boss matches a lot of the time. Well, the ones I I struggled with in echoes were obviously the, the boost ball uh, boss, which was a huge pain in the ass. I didn't even know how to do damage to him. I had to look that up. I was like, I have no idea what you want me to do. And oh, I have to lay bombs while it's in the weird little cloud form. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought of that. I guess I'm an idiot, but it was that in the final boss fight where it ended up like glitching out because I was playing on an emulator. And I do want to talk a little bit about the prime hack and the way I played those two last two games, which vastly improved in some ways. And in the case of Prime 3, I think it like may have been like busted because of how difficult it turns some things into. But Playing them with like an actual dual analog stick control.
1: Beautiful. It's coming. Amazing. It's Actu- coming. The switchboard is fucking coming, baby. It's going to be having oh. a, a, a real, a real FOV.
0: My God. EJ. I don't know how much you mess around with FOV sliders and shooters, but max FOV, F-O-V baby. 120. Oh, no, not max. No, that's way too much. But prime literally is like a 60 degree FOV. It's insane. You're that's playing terrible. through like a 50, a 50 mil lens. Like it is that's horrible. so zoomed in and cropped. It's awful. It's horrendous. Played that shit at like, I think I played at like 86. 86 is like my, my sweet spot. Oh my God. That's like, Warzone I think
2: default is 80 or 85. And that is horrific. I play at 120 and I'm like, if I could go wider, I fucking would.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not playing with a fisheye. That's, that's a little bit, that's uh, information overload. I can't handle that kind of shit. Also, you can't play some the, with the prime three, I think is a maximum of uh 90 or hundred. I can't remember where crank it, but it, it, it like breaks if, if, if you mess with it too much, but so much quality of life stuff. I can just map swapping to a specific visor to any button I want. So with my, uh, my Xbox controller, I had, uh, going from scan visor to normal visor is just a button press. And then just left and right on the D-pad for my other two uh, visors. And then it's it just felt so much better than having to use the Wiimote. Which is a drastically small amount of buttons. And they're located all over the freaking thing. Like having to go and like move your hand down to press 1 to open up your map is horrendous. Pressing down on the D-pad to shoot a, shoot a missile. Awful. Hate it. Not a fan. <laughs> and the control, uh, it's just... I'm glad that I could play it with a lot more buttons and say that much. I guess
1: when it comes to the switch, it's going to be sex on a small screen and uh, EJ. I hope you will throw some money at it and play it in dual analog, which I've been looking forward to. I like the Wii controls for all three of them. I had, I got big fucking meat hands. So reaching down to the D pad, not a problem for me, Uh, but honest to God, dual analog to controls, the D-pad. <laughs> With with two with two like shoulder buttons on each thing so you can like map your missiles to ZR or something and you can toggle visors using like L and ZL I don't know like I'm sure it's gonna have a lot of customization options or at the very least just be like an honest to God dual stick shooter Uh, it's gonna be great it's gonna be great I'm really looking forward to it
0: I had some trouble though with Corruption and I don't know how they do it in the actual, like, Wii version of the game, but Chris, do you remember in SkyTown the zipline sections? Yeah, totally. In this, uh, this Prime Hack version that I played, it doesn't, like, move your camera ever. So all the, mo- the camera movement has to be done by you manually with the right stick. So in the zipline section, I'm assuming it always faces you forward, right? That's my guess. Because... They expect you to shoot these balls that are being dropped by enemies, these little bombs, or they expect you to shoot gates that open, or they expect you to shoot um, two or three things rotating. And doing that while you're wildly veering left and right and up and down is a nightmare. And I literally I I spent so long because there's a there's a there's a point where you have to backtrack to your ship to fight Gore, who is this shitty robot hunter. And it took me so long, just to get that section done. I was ripping my hair out in frustration. It was horrendous. Also, there are certain boss fights where they expect you to be locked on and to like point a little bit up into the left to like shoot their shoulder or something. And you can do something similar to that with Prime Hack. But the way I play, I play inverted controls, and they can't—they don't let you invert them for those uh, those sections. So suddenly, I'm going from inverted to not inverted. To inverted to not inverted depending on if I'm locked on or not so I could I couldn't handle that and then little things like when you have to t- type in numbers and stuff at, at defaults to switching you back from inverted and that was a little bit frustrating for me personally but yeah if they could uh if they could smooth out some of the weird forced motion control interactions from uh, prime 3 that would be a huge improvement if slash when they do a switch version It'll just be interesting to see how they actually implement that because there's certain things where you're doing weird shit with your left hand where you're pulling a thing and moving it over and then pushing it back in. And it's just like, that didn't have to happen. That could have been a button press. I know you're on the Wii and you have to you have to justify the motion controls and justify the gimmick, but let's be real here. It's going to get remapped. We're all adults now. It's going to get
1: remapped. <laughs> Please. There's plenty of buttons on the Switch to totally remap yeah. all this shit. If there's one thing that I found out,
2: in the last eight years of, and half of that spent collecting, uh, but playing games is that I have a really hard time going back and playing games and like appreciating them for their time. Uh, And it's rare that I play a game that I feel like holds up by today's standards in some way. And we've talked about this where like, it's a lot easier to play a game from the Super Nintendo era or like Game Boy, Game Boy Advance and be like, oh, this holds up today because that's like, the aesthetic and like there's like a niche where like that's where game those type of games peaked you know possibly and so it's it's easier to be like this this holds up by today's standards whatever that means um whereas like it's harder to go back and play a game like Metroid Prime and be like yeah this is enjoyable uh it's hard for me to personally to put my mind there but i am really interested in what a a Metroid Prime 4 looks like a modern a true Modern twenty twenty two twenty twenty three first person shooter in a Nintendo world like what does that look like you know I don't think I could glean the same sort of uh you know whatever enjoyment you're getting out of playing a fifteen year old game I I don't think exists for me in that same context almost
0: twenty, 20 Jesus Christ Prime One is twenty two or two thousand two Prime Two is two thousand four Prime Three
2: is two thousand seven Wow. We we literally say it every podcast. We're getting old. Um, <laughs> it's even been five years since we started this podcast, which fucking yeah. is fucked up. Yeah. We haven't yeah. even
0: hit hundred episodes yet. God damn it! I think I have a much better time uh, going back to older games and experiencing them for the first time or re-experiencing them than you do. Um, especially like GameCube era stuff. I think I, I think I'm pretty generous with them. Uh, not hopefully not like overly so, but uh i liked these games i had a good time i would not ever be so bold as to say they're like that they're great by today's standards or that they hold up i mean i had to do a lot of like weird hacky shit just to get two and three to be a more enjoyable experience than uh, i had with one Yeah. one i don't think i had like a bad time playing with the wii controls but it was it was a little bit frustrating because i had to <laughs> it's strange because with the wii U. You go through the settings, and you can only go through the settings with the gamepad. And through those settings, you can change your sensitivity that the Wiimote has. And I don't remember how like easy it was to um, like A/B test between sensitivities, but I had to f- finagle with that. And then there's a built-in like in-game sensitivity for like your turn speed. Basically, it it, it sort of determines that. And I remember wanting to play with like their more hardcore. Uh, turning method but it was way too finicky and it was too like jolting and I couldn't get it to work right so I had to I had to turn that down in the game but a lot of trouble that I had was just like looking around was difficult with the the Wii remote in my setup like I don't I don't know like what extraneous sort of circumstances contributed to that but beyond having my sensitivity like changing my sensitivity on the Wii U and then the sensitivity in the game or like what the sweet spot for that is I could I, I could have probably messed with it more and got it like more nailed down but Uh, and then just struggling with the the emulation through, uh, prime two had a lot of trouble with the emulation there where the, I would get like huge frame drops when I was looking at the map because apparently the map is like wild, like wildly unoptimized where it is literally the size of the map that you're in, but just zoomed out really far. And that's the way they did their, their cool, like wire grid geometry map that EJ, you would recognize from, uh, Jedi fallen order because they stole that whole cloth. oh really okay yeah yeah that is like obviously the inspiration for that i loathe that map dude i loathe it yeah you would have a bad time with the map i hope they fix a lot of things with the map if uh like when they they put they put out prime four it's cool it is the best way probably to um show the the information of like where things are relative to yourself and to give you like the control to rotate and move it around because the Metroid games are sort of maze-like in their design by by cho- like, by design. Like they that is what they are. They're very, very much so mazes. And like finding your way and like remembering them and learning them is part of the fun of the games. So I think that the method in which they show you is the best way they can do it, but navigating the map in the map screen is subpar. And there are very big glaring omissions in like if you have a map say there's an elevator that goes somewhere and it tells you where it goes you should be able to like say hey okay now let's go to that part of the map but instead it says this goes to fendrana drift south and then you have to zoom out all the way to like the weird hex grid go to fendrana okay now i'm in fendrana and it's a completely different orientation now for some reason so i have to go and figure okay this is the southern part of the map and then figure out okay this is the map this is the part of the map that goes from Magmore Caverns. I think that's the one. There's like two different ones that go from Magmor to Fendrana. Is that the right one? And then you have to like bullshit and figure your way out there. They need to fix that. Yes, <laughs> think, they do. I hope they will.
1: <laughs> they really, really do. Yeah, I remember that That shit. made
0: the, the forced backtracking in Prime 1 much more annoying for me personally. Being like, oh, no, I just spent 10 minutes going the wrong way because this map is asinine. <laughs> yep. It's and just, I've walked through Fendron- I've walked through Magmore 10 times. This place sucks. It's so boring. It's just a tunnel of lava. <laughs> uh, bum, bum. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. <laughs> it's just Toms, Toms and grunting. Uh, 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 mm-hmm. uh, uh. I mean, yeah, you, you know, you know, Lower Norfair is iconic and like, there's no lava place in a Metroid game without that sound now, but I don't know. They can do better. So they, <laughs> they can, can do better. I hope they do.
2: A few things one of which we've touched on already where you said that I I should play zero mission as like a good place to start just to wrap my head around the Metroid experience
0: yeah but I'm curious I think I think think more zealot uh, Metroid fans would jump to recommend Super Metroid and I think that Super Metroid in general is a like a a greater game but I think zero mission would speak more to your sensibilities of having uh, quicker movement and a more rapidly rewarding um, system of doling out meaningful upgrades like right away and telling you where to go and being more narrow at the beginning and then sort of like
1: expanding out more gradually. If he plays Super Metroid, he's never playing another Metroid game. And it's just because it's more obtuse, you know? And I've played Super Metroid,
2: to be clear. I have played it. Uh, I can't remember how far I got. I played it for a few hours. This was back. It's probably 2013, I want to say, and obviously it didn't uh grip me enough to yeah to keep playing. But so so Zero Mission, I, I, I want to give it a, a shot just to like just to get a taste here. But I'm curious, Chris. Like Metroid seems like a, a pretty vast uh yet inconsistent franchise. What's what's your favorite game and what from that are you hoping Dread does? Because, like, I know there are, there are people who like only give a shit about the Prime Games, right? Because of that
0: generation, the GameCube generation, right? Yeah, they're whole different genres in a lot of ways. I mean, it's a three D game versus a two D game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it it, it everybody asks like, what's your favorite two D Metroid? What's your favorite three D Metroid? Um for, for two me it's very pr- distinctly different things right and yeah, for me much. for me it's prime one is is the, is the top 3d metroid i think that you know nick as you said the introduction of the luminoth who sort of like tell you thank you for doing the thing go do the thing kind of hand holds you in metroid 2 in a way that they then like doubled and tripled down on in metroid prime 3 i think to disastrous result in terms of like The quality of storytelling and prime one was just a lonely, interesting, beautiful, like audiovisual experience that invited me in to become curious about its world. Um, and, uh, in terms of 2d, it's hard because I have such a place for fusion in my heart. And I played that game a number of times, uh, but it, it, it there, there really isn't any backtracking confusion. you just go from objective to objective and Adam tells you where to go and you go there and it's like reasonably challenging and finding all the stuff is of course like hard but i i i i i'd probably i'd probably go with zero mission as as my tops in that and, and because beyond the fact that I think it's like a tight game, it it retells Metroid in a way that's more interesting. It's faster, it's more beautiful and it incorporates some of the like audiovisual elements of Metroid prime in terms of the way that it tells its story. Uh, There's more integration of the Chozo and Chozo technology Uh, there are sound cues in zero mission that remind me very much of the soundtrack from Metroid prime. And, uh, yeah, it just invites you in more. That's like, you know, this story, but we want you to experience it in a way that's a little bit more immersive, a little bit more beautiful and it knows what it does and it does it well. Um, that's probably what I would say at this, at this moment.
0: I too have a wild and unreasonable affinity for fusion And after replaying it, it's more apparent just how restrictive it is in the, is forcing you to ever go forward. And it is not just telling you where to go, but it is also preventing you from going anywhere else, which I think makes it a good first step into a intimidating genre. Um, It was a little bit hard for like what it was, but it wasn't hard in getting lost. It was hard in... This nightmare fight is a pain in the ass, and I never can find a good opening, and I have to dodge this stupid swooping attack for six minutes before I can actually shoot it again. Uh, so it's kind of a, a black sheep in the in the Metroid games on execution. I only just recently, like as of you know a month ago, uh, played and beat Zero Mission, and I thought that was a probably I would say that's probably pinnacle for the 2D Metroids. I played zero mission on super Nintendo classic a couple years ago and I thought it was good. Um, I wasn't like in love with how a lot of it, like it played mechanically, like, uh, the, the jumping, like jumping up is slow and then back down is also slow and your movement horizontally is slow. There's a run button. Apparently it never tells you that there is, (laughs) you can wall jump at the beginning, but it's hard to do. Um, all the 2d Metroids have had like hard wall jumps for no goddamn reason, except for Samus returns, which is, uh, sort of like brain dead easy, but I would rather it be like that than, um, how they've implemented in other games. So it's hard for me to, I haven't, you know, I've only played it a month ago, but I would have to probably agree that zero mission is the, the peak for, um, 2d Metroids. As far as the, the prime series, I think I probably like two the most, um, I don't think that the, uh, Luminoth giving you story is like that much more egregious than just like reading a bunch of text anyway. Like there's no voice acting. It's all just like you're reading text. It's just that this person has the text box below them as opposed to a thing you highlighted with your, your know everything cursor in the scanning. So it's just slightly less, uh, player agency in the way that they tell you the story, but has the same pros and like pros and cons, I guess, of, uh, reading everything yourself and being the one who like decided to read it, and then just mechanically, it's just way more better. It's just way better than uh, Prime was. Way more better. As way more better. Uh, the the ammo system in Light and Dark is not that bad. Uh, just having two extra beams, and then the the Anni- annihilation beam being the combination of the two was fine. And I thought the boss encounters were more engaging, despite you just fighting really big ing like all the time they all had like really interesting ways they implemented that. And, uh, the bosses in prime one were pretty like boring and like nondescript. And besides a giant slog of a Metroid prime, uh, boss fight at the end where you just fall through the floor a bunch of times, there's nothing memorable about them really. In the end of it, which is unfortunate. Like you think about the big boss fights and like the 2d games, and those are like huge pillars of like memorability and losing that in the 3d games is, uh, kind of unfortunate.
1: Well, I don't agree that they're not memorable. I think that what made the, the guardian fights in prime Two interesting is seeing your own abilities used against you. Um, and trying to figure out like, okay, so if this ing has my boost ball, like, what does that mean in terms of the way it's telling you something already about the way it's going to interact with the world and interact with the environment and try to hurt you and make you think about, okay, how do I, how do I kill this thing? And I don't disagree that two is like mechanically better. It looks great. It sounds great. The fucking Torvis Bog track is as good. The Emperor Ing boss music is as good as anything in the Prime One soundtrack. It's a banger soundtrack. Yeah, the music fucking slaps. Uh, <laughs> but but the pri- the Prime One bosses, I do not agree at all that they're forgettable. And maybe it's just that they've imprinted so strongly on me. But like I remember the first time like getting in to fight Flahagra. And fighting it and going, okay, I fucking killed this thing. That's right.
0: If you say Flahagra one more
1: time. <laughs> no, that is one of the more memorable boss fights. The big plant guy. auto Flahagra asphyxiation. Um, no, <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, there you go. Good. And, but, but just like knocking the knocking the sundials down and going, like I've killed this thing. And it stands up and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like, fuck. You know, just early entry level fighting. TARDIS like the rock boss like right after you get the thermal visor and being like okay I gotta find the rock I gotta like stay out of this guy's reach like where's his weak point like I don't know I don't know think that I don't think that that bad you know I'm always disappointed that Kraid is not a boss but I don't know I didn't I didn't think they were that I don't I don't think they're that bad just because prime twos are better I don't think that they theirs are bad
0: yeah I just think that like if they're not great, then like they're not good. Like it's just not like it can't just be okay when everything else in the game is above like above that level. Like the weaknesses turn into much larger weaknesses by by comparison. So I think in Prime Two they're just a lot cooler. Also just the areas in general are a lot cooler in Prime Two. I really liked uh I have a I have a hard time remembering because I just play all these games back to back. But like Aegon Waste was cooler than um well the sanctuary area was just cooler in general or not sanctuary what is it um is it the this the overworld area in in prime 2 is cooler than the overworld in prime 1 sanctuary grounds yeah and then i get it mixed up with sky town but like the 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 robot area in prime 2 is really cool and like the way they laid that area out and you're just like zigzagging it
1: sanctuary fortress top tier
0: yeah it's just it's so cool and then the dark versions of these areas it's just the the way they contextualize and i thought actually the um i don't remember what they were called the keys the dark ether keys uh in two were much a much better implementation of what they tried to do with the artifacts The chose artifacts in one uh i'm really glad they didn't have something like well they kind of it was like more optional in three. They had something similar with the energy cells and going back to the GFS Valhalla. So I like that they kept that sort of idea, but then implemented it in a better way. I think that, I don't know. I need more time to like absorb it all, but I think my order might be two, three, one as opposed to two and three for prime.
1: Wow. That man. Yeah. I, wow. I don't, I don't know if any other person that's played these games that, that would put one at the bottom of the hierarchy. I know I respect that. Like your your takes are well are are substantially well defended. I I respect that. And we haven't even talked about like. And this is a very short conversation of like, the suits like having interesting versions of the power suit and the various suit and like Samus's different suits goes a long way for me, at least as a kid. And yeah, and
0: I think Prime was was way too safe with that. I mean, you got the cool like kind of i don't know i don't even know how cool it was like the phase-on
1: suit at the it end it wasn't is just like it wasn't cool at all and that's just this like is black
0: it? and gray version of the various suits. prime the,
1: 2 had some fucking amazing suits like the dark suit was yeah, the bold. light suit
0: looks super
1: alien oh it's amazing it's like a fucking apple product like it's just sleek yeah, it's and weird. sexy and cool and i was like oh my fucking god like this is it, it was right like the, here the
0: three like the the whole like the the motif of like the 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 three pointed holes kind of reminded me of like the internals of a Metroid. And I think that, yeah, the light suit is probably like the most radically different that they've really gone in the prime series, especially. I thought the PED suit was like another overly Western, like what if we made Samus look even more like master chief to an extent, but I also thought it was like a really appealing color way of the suit. And it was cool how it progressed with her level of corruption throughout the game and turned more dark and more blue and even when you get the what the hazard, <clears throat> the hazard stuff where you get the octic the hexagons on your shoulder, like it still just like kept progressing and like the way the morph ball changes as you as you keep going and growing into that as well, had some like cool progression to it. I thought it was strange that they uh, radically changed the gunship in Prime Corruption, and I wonder if that was just a, a a matter of hey you're actually going from planet to planet in this game, so you're gonna be like interfacing more with the gunship and actually getting gunship upgrades, which I thought was like really cool. And like a really interesting way to be like, Hey, we're, you know, this is doll locks and keys, but here's something that interacts with something that is as iconic as Samus herself in her gunship, which is, you know, in most other games, it's just her head, but big. <laughs> so it, I thought it was cool actually getting like the ship missiles and like, there were some cool puzzles on, uh, uh, not Norian, but, uh, rio where you're moving stuff around and picking stuff up and putting it somewhere else i really i really thought that was uh, a rewarding sort of use of backtracking through an area and seeing oh this thing can go somewhere else where should it go oh it's this power generator and it moves this rotates this thing and you get the an energy cell and then you get to go back to the it was more here's not just a reward for doing the thing but here's something to it was more of like a trail like a breadcrumb trail And I I thought that was really well implemented actually in three.
1: Oh, totally. And that was the, the gunship was the very first thing they showed of the whole game at E3, like in however many years ago is it was just a single shot of Samus coming over. I uh, probably like an early rendering of phase of the last planet standing on top of the new gunship design. And then like maybe a title card and maybe not even a title card. I just remember losing. Yeah, my no, f- they
0: didn't have the name. They, they they showed Prime Three, I think, at E three two thousand five or like maybe Space World two thousand five, like two years before the game came out. Uh, just when I was reading through the history. And yeah, I think you're right that it was a very short, very brief section of not like in engine footage just to announce the game. And then I think they showed like a brief snippet of uh in engine footage the year after that, but it wasn't until I don't think they even gave a name for it until two thousand seven, maybe early. But yeah, I I don't even know how I feel about the whole phase on sort of arc. I think it's really hokey and like bad sci-fi. But I also think that a lot of Metroid in general is um, like kind of surface level as far as that goes. And it's less about the plot. It's like kind of a cornball space opera sort of plot. But just having like cool locations and like people alien peoples existing on these worlds I, I really actually like you talk about um talon 4 and i i thought talon 4 was like okay but it seems like the chozo goddamn live everywhere so i don't even know like wh- why it matters that they lived on talon 4 and they also like hung out on zebus and they also hung out on like they visited ether and they talked to brio and they had an outpost in sky town on uh, Elysia or whatever so it's like they were ubiquitous. They were everywhere.
1: Yeah, they were galactic power and they had they had tendrils everywhere. So I, that's why I thought it was cool, like learning about the Luminoth
0: on on Aether and like learning about the Reptilicus or whatever they were called on, on Brio. Like, I think that's more cool to have these like uh, singular sort of conflicts as opposed to like, oh, here's another Chozo conflict, but we never see them it's just as bad as having like a bunch of humans be the galactic federation no, where it's gonna. just like,
1: so it's just space, the space army. Like who gives a shit? We're going to see more Chozo, <laughs> It seems, and that's good because they've got at more. least one. Well, they've got more to come to account for. And if you, when you 100% Samus returns, small spoilers for Samus returns, uh, you get some art cells, uh, or, or images, I guess I should say they're not art cells. um, that strongly imply uh, that there were uh, two warring factions within the Chozo and that uh, one of them sold the other out to the Space Pirates.
0: Yeah, and it's weird because I think the Space Pirates are technically extinct as well. Or maybe they're just going to get cloned by the Galactic Federation, just like every other goddamn race does. So what does that even matter? I mean, there's no stakes in this story because you can't kill something off because it's immediately brought back. It's, you know, it's a problem with any long-running franchise, but it makes me care a little bit less about the fate of the Chozo because, like, yeah, they're so mysterious, but the more we learn about it, the less mysterious they are, so it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Right. We'll see. I think it's just a problem with storytelling in this sort of medium. Anything else you guys want to touch on before we
2: uh, scoot on out of here? Uh,
0: I don't know. I I might not uh, finish Samus Returns. I'm not sure. I'm not... I don't know how much it's gripping me. I'm playing it also on an emulator because whoa, I'm not whoa, gonna whoa, play whoa. it on a 3DS. But it's uh it's interesting, especially after playing uh, fusion and zero missions so recently, playing Samus Returns and seeing Metroid Dread and like wanting to experience how they're likely gonna feel similar mechanically. But I look at the footage of Dread and I see how zoomed out it is. And that makes me so excited. Because Samus Returns is very tightly zoomed in. I think that's a problem with a lot of uh, Metroid games. I think it's the biggest problem with Super Metroid and, and uh, Metroid 2 on Game Boy. But Dread is actually like zoomed out and it feels like you can actually move. So I think Sam's Returns, like, you move pretty quickly, but you're stopping and starting all the time. Because every single enemy you run into suicide bombs you. Because they want you to melee counter everything, and that's annoying because I don't want to fight everything. If I've been through this area ten times, I'm not going to stop and fight everything and get no health back. I just want to run. I want to run past stuff, but they make it incredibly difficult for you to do that in this game, and that's like a stumbling block for me. And also, I just got to a new area and I don't have the grapple beam, but they want me to have the grapple beam, and I don't know where the grapple beam is, so. I'm either looking that up or I'm just backtracking through every single area trying to figure out where I want to go. And it's just like not as fun to do that when everything is just trying to like literally just like jump at me when other Metroid games like you'll have endemic life that's like scooting along and you just like jump over and ignore it or you can like shoot them and farm for missiles or whatever. But they want you to fight everything. And it's just not very fun.
1: Well, thematically, it makes sense. I don't blame you if you don't finish it, but SR388 is literally everything there is trying to kill you. You know, like it's different. It's different. Yeah, but there's no this. like
0: different. There's no different enemies than any of the other games. So it's like it doesn't really matter. Like you get the little froggy jump dudes and like the dive bomb bats, and this is like they've had those in every other game. But it's also it's interesting that they gave you the spider ball like immediately, and then they also give you the ice beam immediately and. They don't like prevent you from like really going anywhere except for bespoke doors that you can't shoot until you get an item upgrade. And that's like, that's less interesting to me to like shoot a different beam at a door and unlock it than it is for me to traverse the world in an interesting way that I couldn't before. So I think I would probably like the game more if I got the ice beam later and like the spider ball later and that kind of thing.
1: Metroid 2 is not great. It's the worst game in the series for a reason. And I think that they did Herculean work just to get it to be like playable and enjoyable at all. But ultimately it is an extremely straightforward experience in which they're like, keep shooting things and keep going down. And that's the whole fucking game.
0: Yeah. I got to kill the, the 40 Metroids. <laughs> that's now, all there. Are. <laughs> now, if that is
2: not a great way to sum up the Metroid franchise, I don't know what it is. Oh, hey, man. Metroid Dread, you're actually going up. <laughs> Listen, I am excited for you guys. I like, I mean, like like we talked about last time, just Chris, you getting your moment here with with the announcement of Dread, and then Nick seeing you like this stoked about it that you're like, I'm gonna deep dive on all these games because I'm getting hyped on the fucking new one. Like that's cool. I haven't seen you be hyped. Well, yeah, it a hole. Like it
0: was a hole in my catalog that I'd wanted to fill for a long time, and this was just like the inspiration to finally go do it like i've owned metroid prime trilogy forever you know like it's not like i haven't touched those games or had the desire to play them i just never went through with it and like i don't blame anyone who doesn't want to because like they are old games and like i'm pretty forgiving with that kind of thing and i've I've found my own way to make them more playable but i don't know not everyone has that kind of stupidity that i have (laughs) well now that your holes are filled you're ready for and I'm all plugged up. Airtight, baby.
1: <laughs> uh, Chris, when is Dread Drop? Give me day and date. What are we talking? October 8th, same day as the OLED switch. Oh, my God.
2: All right. That's right around the corner, man. It's right around the corner. So Right down the corner. <laughs> right down the street and around the band.
0: Two, Two months. months is, uh basically. before that? Isn't Um, uh, WarioWare September, I think? I couldn't tell you. I think it is. I think it's September. I don't know what else is out before then. I just got an easy like nineteen points the other day in the league. That's great. Well, shit, man. Horizon
2: Two. That's all I'm waiting for. Okay, that's
0: all I want. Death about. Store on Switch. That's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Crow game. Crow game. Listen,
2: when's the next Smash Bros coming out?
0: When's the last character getting announced? Are they
2: capped? I-, I thought that it was an infinite uh potential
1: number of characters no
0: I mean Sakurai said one more
2: oh
1: really yeah <sighs> alright let's do this I thought they were who's, like who's the last character I'm saying Waluigi Goku
2: Waluigi <laughs>
1: Goku is more
2: likely Uh it's Raichu Raichu <laughs> that actually like makes a lot of sense like no one will be happy about it but like oh yeah yeah that makes sense or
1: another Link <laughs> oh okay. no do you have a real guess or just... <laughs> no, I, I only shit post. <laughs> I'm not going to put my,
0: my, my life on the line <laughs> for a Smash Bros. character.
2: 1,000%. Listen, has there been a more maligned evolution outside of fucking Raichu? Like, nobody fucking likes Raichu.
1: He's the shitty Pikachu evolution. I you like know? Raichu. I have his fucking of trading card. Of course you do,
2: you fucking contrarian fuck!
1: I have his trading card in my wallet. <laughs> Suck on that. The original, <laughs> the original fossil card. I'll fucking get it right now. I swear Fossils. to God, I'll get it right now. Was, uh, it, was it the,
0: was it the one with the Ken Sugimori art or was it the other one?
1: I uh, it's was a like wrapped up like uh, in the middle with little lightning bolts. Okay. On the I think it's Sugimori. Okay. No, but like anybody who played any fucking Pokemon game, not yellow version, where they were abusive to you and were like, Pikachu doesn't want to evolve and I'm like, it's a fucking semi-sentient rat and I am its master. I don't care. Raichu oh was Raichu was so fucking OP, you could get Pikachu in Viridian Forest and absolutely trash Misty. like the, it, it is the play because no one likes Bulbasaur, so who the fuck's going to have him to use on Misty?
2: The play in red and blue is to get A female Nidoran. Yep. Strongest Pokemon in the game.
1: Double kick. And
2: it can learn the uh, elemental punches. It is the most OP Pokemon in that game, and it's what all the speedrunners use. Or at least they did a few years ago. The meta may have changed, but I did a speedrun. I think I I may have beat Blue in like three and a half hours or something. Not exactly speedrun by speedrun standards, but yeah, bro, Nidoran. That's where it's fucking at.
0: Nidoran stand over here. Also a lot easier to find than a Pikachu with like a 5% fine chance in the Viridian Forest. I would always just get like a I would get like a Caterpie and try to get it to to Butterfree and get confusion and I was like I'll just ride the psychic wave for a while. <laughs> I feel
2: like Nick and I are two polar opposites when it comes to how we play Pokemon games. I'm just like I'm just going to catch the strongest Pokemon I can and hold off until I get some legendaries and Nick is like I'm going to go grind a fucking Metapod for
0: three hours. Hey, man, it doesn't take that long. It gets to Butterfree by like a little 10. It's pretty early. I think it's it Confusion at like 12. It's, it doesn't take that long. Fighting Brock. I'm telling you, let's go. Better that than like trying to get a Pidgey, you know?
2: Changed everything. I'm all about that I can find, grind, okay?
0: You can find Pikachu's real easy and Let's Go.
2: They're everywhere. I'm okay with it. I always had a female Pikachu as one of my main uh Pokemon in like all the games. That's one of my go-tos.
0: You gonna get that uh that Pokemon this year?
2: Uh yeah, I am. I don't
0: have any feelings about it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm going to. Uh just to it's a good see, sign. You, it's know. A good, you didn't have a lot of feelings about Let's Go either. You're like kind of like unhappy that you're getting it, but then you ended up loving that. So well, I
2: was yeah, that's even a good sign. I don't I don't even think I bought Let's go day and date. I, I can't remember why I ended up buying because I was so unhappy about it. Um, and then I ended up getting I thought you it. did. I don't know. Did I buy I, I honestly, I don't have any recollection of, of how it transpired, but I obviously, I fell in love with it. The newest one, Sword and Shield, I had no plans on buying and I didn't buy. My buddy bought the dual pack and gave me one of them. Um, uh, and I played a, I think I beat the first gym and it also wasn't for me. So, you know, I, here's the thing. What's so funny and I had the same experience with, um, Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire where like I think I'm I probably played Ruby Sapphire as a kid like the most out of any of the Pokemon games. But like I don't really I remember more of it than than Diamond Pearl, which I also played several times. Played platinum as well. In high school. But like I didn't remember Ruby Sapphire well enough to enjoy the remakes. I was like, this is not striking this familiar chord. I don't I don't remember a lot of these places well enough to like for this to be like, oh my God, this is reimagined version of this place I know the way I do with Kanto or Johto, right? Same goes for Diamond Pearl. Like, I I don't... I played so much of those games uh, in high school and I have these fleeting memories of, of certain things, but, like, it's just been so long I I don't remember it well enough to, I think, really enjoy this remake the way I would a Let's Go or a Let's Go 2. Like, bummed about that. That's why I was like, oh, I'm going to play... I'm going to replay... Uh, Diamond just to like really soak in the nostalgia and then when I play the remake and I get to appreciate it a little bit more but even that was like that's too much of a chore
0: (laughs) it's going to get to the point where they're remaking like Sun and Moon in like six years fucking kill me dude if like god forbid in the next five years I have a fucking kid
2: and the first Pokemon game that little bastard plays is fucking Pokemon
1: Sun and Moon remake (laughs) oh my
2: god what the fuck
1: Pokemon Shining terrible. Sun and Glistening Moon.
0: Oh, stop it, you son of a bitch. Parents don't let their children play their first Pokemon game as Shining Sun and Glistening Moon. No you, put a fucking,
1: no, you put a fucking Game Boy with no backlight in their fucking hands and a copy in red and blue, yellow if you really love the kid, and tell them this is how you do it. This is how you fucking do it. This is your introduction to this. You know, it's you so funny.
0: with under the street light while we pass by them in the minivan, and that's, oh how, that's how you play or else.
2: One of my most visceral <laughs> memories of Gen 2, I can still put myself back there. I was at the coast at my grandma's little, she had a little trailer down on the coast, and I'm there with my mom and my brother, and I did something to get my Game Boy taken away. I had, little t- I had the turquoise Game Boy. I had my Pokemon Crystal, and I did something to lose it. And my mom put it, like, in the nightstand or some shit. So it's like, you know, 12 p.m. I am 8, 9, 10 years old, and I sneak my Game Boy out. And the bed is right up against the window with some blinds. So I just pop open the blind. One single blind, I pop up, and the moonlight coming through the blind is just enough for me to play my Game Boy at the right angle. And so, but I, to, I have to be literally facing my mom. My brother and I are sharing a bed with my mom. And I literally have to be like, <laughs> like Game Boy is right in front of her face. <laughs> and so I'm playing, I'm playing this fucking game and my mom wakes up and I got in big trouble. Uh, So anyway, that shit is real. Far from fuck. sly. <laughs> Far from, but it is like, it's like, listen, like I'm either going to get away with it or I'm not. Like it is what
0: it is. Very low stakes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know. I, I lived the telly. Where, where were you in the game? Do you remember?
2: Yes. My mind wants to say Cinnabar Island. That's obviously Gen 1.
0: Uh the island where you fight the uh fighter trainer. Yeah. I can't remember the name of that island. Uh south of Olivine. I can't remember the name of it though.
1: It's it's a ecrutique.
0: No no no, 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 no. That's no. the ghost town. Yeah. Is there that's a the fighting uh Is there
1: a fighting trainer in Gen two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was on the island. Yeah, he had like a, he had like a
0: polyrath, didn't he? There's a shuckle on that island. Remember oh,
1: that? yes.
0: And there's the Ampharos uh, Lightning or the Lighthouse with the Steel Gym Leader with Jasmine. Yes, yes, she yes. She was yeah. uh, north of that. Who's the fighting Pokemon that evolves into like
1: Makuhita or something? That's Gen 3. No, Makuhita. You're of Gen 3. Yeah, that's that's Gen no. 3. Makuhita evolves into Hariyama in Gen 3. Yep. You're talking about Tyrogue evolving into Hitmontop?
2: That's Gen 3.
1: You get the Tyrogue from Kanto in uh, Gen
0: 2. Gen two, instead of getting the Hitmonchan or Lee from the fighting gym in Saffron, yeah, but there is a fighting gym in in uh, Gen two. I I know what you're talking about. It's the the guy, literally, he's like training under a waterfall. Like it's that that meet, like that right. trope, and he has a polywrath, because that is water fighting.
2: I I'm really and mixing. You fight up him my...
0: before you you have to go down there and get the medicine for the Ampharos in the lighthouse where Jasmine is, so you can fight her, and she's got a Steelix and like uh. Maybe a Scrymory? I can't remember. There's not a lot of steel Cyan Pokemon in Gen wood. 2. Cyan wood. So it is the C. Chuck. The Cerulean got you mixed up.
2: Yeah. Um, sure. Why am I. I'm
0: seeing Makohita in my head that. There's another fighting gym in Gen 3. Yeah. On another island. Brawly. Oh, really? Yeah. And he's got the uh, the fighting psychic one. I can't remember. What was it? Medicham. Medicham. All
2: right. Bulbopedia, area north of the
0: city. I
2: want to know what Pokemon I can find over there because I have this. Very distinct memory of like catching it was a shuckle.
0: No, there's a shuckle that you can rock smash and get on that. Yeah, island. I remember that you rock smash. Yeah, and in gen three, I think you get either not spirit but the other one, sableye, in uh, around that area as well. I remember that very, very faintly. So I played that game in like what high school, like three years after the fact. I didn't play Diamond Pearl till like after high school. I think. Hold on, hold on. Uh oh. <laughs> EJ's on a on a journey of discovery.
2: Could you catch other generation Pokemon in
0: Heart Gold Soul Silver? Probably, yeah. Generation Four. Yep. Yeah. Are you getting? Are you getting? You can catch Heart Gold Soul Silver mixed up with Gold and Silver. You can catch Makuhita, uh, EJ, I EJ your EJ, your memories are now being overwritten by newer memories. Dude, that's the thing. Is like, in ten years, you're gonna think back about playing that Game Boy in front of your mom's face like an idiot at the beach, and you'd be like, I totally had a Medicham. <laughs>
2: That's the thing. It's like, I'm scared. I'm like, no, I know that the beach thing. I remember so distinctly. I remember being on Cianwood. DJ, that
0: wasn't the beach. Stop that it. That was yesterday. Stop it. Stop that was it. in your bedroom.
1: Fire? Sarah's like oh, shaking you, trying to get you out of your we've, coma. We've lost the plot. We've totally lost the plot. <laughs> oh, my God. We're three hours into this fucking podcast. Yeah, we're going to wrap me, this fucker up. Yeah, get get me out of here. <laughs> get me some food. I need more alcohol, Preach. and I need food. Preach. I,
2: it's so hot in here, dude. It's like 100 degrees in Eugene today. I need... To turn my air conditioning on. Console Crusade podcast. All right. It's been a pleasure listening to y'all ramble about Metroid. I like when my friends like things. Okay. I don't like a lot of things. So I get to live vicariously through you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. I I was literally
0: going to say that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So, uh, of course, Chris Gilly
0: for Nicholas Durheim. Feedback at consolecrusade.com, Joey, if you want to give us all your your hot inside details on. Definitely not BronyCon. Listen, whatever you called it, Joey. You defend the Bronies. I'll defend the
2: Juggalos. We'll go fucking head to head, death battle style. All right, I'm ready Whoever for it.
0: Whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> <laughs>